We gotta go. We gotta get out of here. We gotta go right now. Listen to me, Steve. No, you don't understand. We've gotta go. Steve, this is important. Go where? That's right. Go where? What happened in your room? Are you listening? What happened in your room is not an isolated incident. It is something that is happening everywhere, everyone. So, where are you gonna go? Where are you gonna run? Where are you gonna hide? Nowhere. Because there's no one like you left. Oh, God. I know you're scared. That's okay. I understand that. You're confused. But let me tell you something, Steve. Let me tell you something, all that anger, all that fear, all that confusion, it's gonna melt away. It's gonna go away, Steve. It's gonna go away, you go to sleep, you wake up. It's very simple in the morning, you wake up, you feel wonderful. Get away from me! Get away from my Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 194, a themed episode where we'll be discussing body snatchers. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons. Thank you to all the pod people, or podcast people, who make this show possible. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classic films and new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. I'm the Gill Man, Joel Robertson, and the guys who may or may not be my co-hosts are... Dave Dr. Shockbacker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh. In this episode, we'll be joined by Station from the Sci-Fi Podcast, also known as The Bride from Gods and Monsters, to review the four films maybe most directly related to Jack Finney's 1954 novel, The Body Snatchers. Those are Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978, Body Snatchers from 1993, and The Invasion from 2007. But first, we are joined by another very special guest in his first appearance on Horror Movie Podcast. David Weiner is the former executive editor of one of the greatest genre magazines of all time, Famous Monsters of Filmland, and is the creator of ItCameFromBlog.com. He's also the writer-director of In Search of Darkness, the definitive 1980s horror documentary, which we reviewed just two episodes ago, as well as the upcoming In Search of Tomorrow, which hopes to be the definitive 1980s sci-fi doc, and which is launching a crowdfunding campaign very soon. We'll get into all of that, as well as some Body Snatcher theme discussion. But first, David, welcome to Horror Movie Podcast. Thank you for having me. 
I don't have a moniker, but I'll think of one by the end of the podcast. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have to. Yeah, we should we should come up with one for all guests. I think that's a good point. And just uh, real quick, I, I absolutely loved In Search of Darkness. I, th- I thought it was amazing. Um, I wanted to just Thank ask, you. do you know, um, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Will it be coming uh, as far as availability on, on Blu-ray? I know that as as somebody who had donated to... Uh, one of the uh, online campaigns, I did get a Blu-ray copy of it, which I'm thrilled to have. Uh, and I'm wondering if, you know, for our listeners, if, if there's any talk of it maybe being available um, on Blu-ray or uh, in any other medium for them to be able to watch it as well. Absolutely. It sort of comes and goes because we're doing this ourselves. We're a, we're a small, uh, small organization, Creator VC, that's uh, Robin Block, who's the executive producer of uh, In Search of Darkness. And, Robin's uh, been on our show before, actually, as well. Yes, yes, that's right. Well, he, uh, it, it, what, what we're doing is this was a, a smaller project that was meant to be for backers only, and it, and it grew in size uh, exponentially uh, based on the interest. And so we've been manufacturing it in, in bits and starts and batches. And uh, I can't quite say when the next manufacturing is going to be. We just had one. Uh, what the best thing to do is uh, you could actually, and I'll tell you guys a secret, you can get it now if you go to the our handle uh, on on Twitter. It might be on Instagram as well. There's a link, and you can get the digital copy right away if you mm. want. And we, we've limited that to 2,000 copies. I don't know uh, where we're at, but we just did that just a couple of days ago. We're literally making these, uh, manufacturing them to order, and you have to have a substantial batch uh, to do it uh, in large numbers for uh, Blu-ray and DVD and merchandise and so on and so forth. But right now, uh, if you want to see the film, I know I know uh, there's definitely been, and we've been extremely appreciate, appreciative of this, that there's a real demand for it by a lot of horror fans who've you know had the good word of mouth, and 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 I know it's a frustrating element to not be able to access it. So it's available that way. In the time being, what the best thing to do is to sign up to our newsletter at 80shorrordoc.com. And uh, the next time uh, we, we do a manufacturing run for physical copies, uh, you'll, you'll be the first to know if you sign up. And now our listeners know not to make the same mistake with a new one that's coming out. Yeah, so the 80s Horror Doc is In Search of Darkness, but uh, In Search of Tomorrow is the 80s sci-fi doc that we are now assembling and putting that together. We're kickstarting it on April 21st, and uh, 80s sci-fi doc.com is the place to go for that. Very cool. Awesome. Uh, and I'll be there as well because if if it's anything like In Search of Darkness, I can't wait. It's it it'll be uh, it'll be amazing. It's actually going to be very similar uh, in scope and size and approach and structure. We're going to do year by year uh, of the eighties, you know, from eighty to eighty nine. In between, we're going to have uh, larger context. Uh, uh, chapters, and we're looking to talk to 50, 60, who knows, maybe even more uh, icons from the era and uh, artists and, and, and uh, special effects masters and, and uh, you know, actors and directors, composers, uh, people who are influenced by this, uh, people who are influenced by the, the tech visions of the 80s and, and turned those visions into reality for our contemporary 
life and world. Uh, we want to get some people who are really well known and, and have had a real impact on our lives. And so it's a definitely an ambitious project. And we've already put together quite an impressive cast, if I do say so myself. Uh, it's still growing quite a bit, and we're still in the works with lots of names. But uh, you can go to imdb.com and go to In Search of Tomorrow. And uh, but you can see who's on there. I mean, I could go on, on a list. I mean, there's wonderful folks there. Sean Young is on is is in that. Um, uh, Nancy Allen, Paul Verhoeven, Joe Dante, D. Wallace, John Carpenter is back talking about some of his uh, sci-fi entries. Douglas Trumbull, Phil Tippett. Alex Winter. I mean, it's sort of all I'm trying to hit the spectrum here. Sam J. Jones of, of Flash Gordon. I, I'm, I feel the need to oh, wow. explain who all these all these folks are. No, yeah, uh, our, our audience knows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. You know, you know, from Star Trek, we've got Nicholas Meyer. You know, director of Star Trek Two, writer of wow. Four, and director of Six. Walter Koenig, uh, Chekhov is on there. Will Wheaton of uh, you know, who's just a, a geek. That's awesome. There, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. Um, Adam Nimoy is on board with us, um, but you know Charles Band, Doug Gale, who wrote the uh, Back to the Future trilogy. Um, the, the list goes on and on. It's it's uh, Dean Foster, the uh, you know novelist extraordinaire. If you're if you're a real sci-fi geek, you, you've I have read his uh, anything no- from. No, sorry to interrupt you. I was going to say I have his uh, oh. novelization for Alien. There you go. Alien, uh, Outland, the Black Hole, um, you know, Splinter of the Mind's Eye was oh, my yes. first exposure to Alan Dean Foster. Yes. Uh, you know, they, that was before Star Wars was was a franchise, mm-hmm. so to speak, uh, you know, before Empire came out. You know, speaking of the Black Hole, you know, that came out two weeks before 1980. And right. uh, I think it's important to uh, to include that in a certain yeah. way. Joseph Bottoms of the Black Hole uh, is going to be in our film. Uh, it's, it's an endless list. Kerry O'Quinn, the uh, editor-in-chief of Starlog, is oh, on board. Excellent. Uh, I, I mean, I could keep on going, and, and I feel like we don't have enough. We really want to get a, a wonderful broad spectrum of, uh, of 80s sci-fi icons, and we're focusing on movies, not television, but very exciting. TV will we'll, yeah, we'll make its way in there. That's, ex- that's very exciting. Absolutely. I can't, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, that's incredible. So we'll uh, definitely... Have to push folks towards that. I'm planning on supporting it. I. Uh, oh yeah. I, I'm. That's going to be great. That's fantastic. Uh, that will be just after this podcast posts. The Kickstarter campaign will begin. So keep an eye out for that. It's happening very soon. We'll get all that information at uh, 80sci-fi.com. Awesome. I think something's taking over our school. The body's now just as a story somebody made up. Dingus. It's located in the fiction section of the line. Yeah, so is Schiller's list. Look, all fiction is based on some truth, right? What does Miss Berg teach us in English 101? Write what you know. How do we know this writer guy? Jack Finney. Didn't encounter aliens in his high school, which led him to write a book about an alien invasion. Your conspiracy theory is flawed. How so? Well, Jack Finney's The Body Snatchers is a blatant ripoff of The Puppet Masters by Robert Heinlein, so you can completely disregard that entire work. Whatever. The point is, they're here, they've been here, and they're here. All right, so uh, uh, Wolfman, do you want to kick us off with the Body Snatcher talk? Because I know you are a massive fan of the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, uh, both The Thing and the original 1956 Invasion of the Body Snatchers are in my top 10 movies of all time. And I, I just I love these films. And 
I, I'm also a big vampire fan, as longtime listeners will know. And I think something that I like about both genres is that there's this hidden enemy and the, the person could be standing right next to you could be the monster. And that just has terrified me since the time I was a little kid. Maybe it was growing up during the Cold War. I don't know. But that definitely, I'm sure, played a part in the filmmakers' approaches to the material over time. Uh, kind of the different political situations going on in the world when these films were were made. I'm, I'm sure uh, in the 2007 version, the threat of terrorism played into their thinking as they constructed that film but yeah there's something Mm -hmm. to me so scary about this concept and the thing is one of my favorite uh paranoia films of all time i love that feeling of it could be anyone any of us could be the threat and it might also be my love of murder mysteries it has a very agatha christie vibe as well i love that you could be uh, trapped with your killer and it could look like your best friend and that to me i think is the primary driving force for my love of body snatcher films right and it, it's really something like if, if you think of, um, you know, the, the enemy being uh, a family member or, you know, somebody you've known, you know, most of your life, if not all of your life, if it's a parent or whatnot, you know, the zombie genre plays on that a little bit. Although by the time, you know, you get to uh, they become the walking dead, they're no longer the person that you've known your entire life. But in body snatchers, they're acting as if they are. So you're not going to pick it up right away. I mean, every time I watch one of these movies, you're thinking, well, is this person, are they not? And yet there, there are subtle hints they give that maybe they're not the person you've known, but you can never be quite sure. And I think that's where they're most effective is just... Because you're not going to believe, you're, you're going to accept that this person is, you know, who they appear to be. And without any knowledge, you're in the greatest of danger all of a sudden. Especially, I just seen the, we're not going to get into the movies too much right now, but the Abel Ferrara, the 93 Body Snatchers. And he plays on that really well in that one, I think, with the family at the center of it. I thought that he really brought that to the to the forefront in that, as, as all of them do. Yeah. But um, that one's just freshest in my mind. And I thought he did a great job with that. Just really briefly, I like that idea you bring up about comparing it to a zombie film. Because in the zombie film, as your family member is turning there is it's almost a tragedy it's the idea that you're gonna have to put your loved one out of their misery um which is a very different tonal vibe to the body snatcher thing which is terror i mean completely afraid to go to sleep next to your loved one which i I don't know i think those are that's a very interesting contrast right What what do you think david well, I think these, it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, Jack Finney's 54 novel, it was definitely a response to communism and the McCarthy era uh, sentiment of stature, body snatchers in 56 really sort of captured that, that paranoia that was definitely being cultivated around that time and uh, not done in a positive way. Um, but I find when you get to the 70s um, and you get to... Um, the, you know, the 1978 body snatchers, I, f- I found that to be more of a response to psychology and cult. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're sort of in, in the wake of, of Jim Jones and, and Guyana and the Manson family. And uh, there's a whole sort of different take on it because communism is not uh, something that was festering uh, among the ranks at the time. So uh, I, I found that to be, you know, I think each decade has something that it responds to 
And uh, I think you're right very much like with The Invasion, which is kind of a very subpar film, but I revisited it uh, recently and I actually found it pretty... I think I think when I when I revisited the 1978 Body Snatchers, I, I I had a better appreciation for the invasion because I think it was trying to take all its best moments from 1978 Body Snatchers, but that was mm. very much a response to uh, the terrorist threat, the sleeper cell concept. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, these, these movies. These movies, I think, really are are much more political in tone to uh contemporary sociopolitical themes uh compared to other sci-fi which sometimes you have to find the connection versus this is a little slightly more overt but maybe not as overt as they live by john carpenter but i do like that there is something there about be it a cult or cold war or the sleeper cell that there is something antisocial bubbling up just outside of our view and the fear of what that, you know, could mean for us. I don't know. It's, I don't know, it's, it's a creepy concept. Yeah. When, whenever, whenever you go about your daily life and things seem a little odd, a little different there, you realize sometimes, and I'm talking about our everyday life and I'm not talking about even currently where things are slightly different. Um, sometimes you, you realize there's a moment where you realize we don't have a shared reality. And I think these movies all uh, collectively share that view, is that uh, when you go about your life and you think everything's normal and then things are abnormal around you, but ever so slightly off kilter, that's much more frightening than something potentially much more uh, obvious and overt. And I think these films capture that. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it, that kind of brings to mind the two other big themes that I think of when I think of body snatcher movies are the uncanny and just that something is slightly off. And that is an, another factor that is, that is very scary. Um, and, and also this idea, and you see this in vampire films again as well, that humanity is the disease kind of, kind of idea. And mm-hmm. if we can let go of all of these imperfections that we have as humans, all these idiosyncrasies that, that we'd be better off, you know, that if we were, if we were robotic essentially, or like these alien beings, you know, we could fix the human problem. And, you know, and that, that's a theme that we still deal with in films like Avengers Endgame. They're, you know, with Thanos and they're talking about these ideas. And, and certainly since the coronavirus COVID-19 situation has started, I've heard a lot of people saying, well, look how much better off the earth is <laughs> without <laughs> us. And on one hand, that's a hopeful idea to think, oh, OK, well, we can it's it's we're able to change our actions and that can have an immediate impact on the environment is a, is a hopeful idea, but that it's being looked at through this lens of, well, like, well, if humanity was wiped out, wouldn't earth be a much, much better place. And I don't know there, it's a very scary and then sometimes alluring. Like I think of the faculty, you know, in my world, Casey, there were limitless oceans as far as the eye could see beautiful home till it started to dry up. So I escaped, came here, I met you. You were lost and lonely, just like me. And I thought that maybe I could give you a taste of my world. A world without anger, without fear, without attitude. I can make you a part of something so special, Casey. So perfect. So fearless. Don't you want that, Casey? I'd rather be afraid. 
join us. It's so much better. There's no pain. There's no fear. And uh, I like that element of the Body Snatcher films as well. Well, a lot, a lot of the things that you mentioned owe a lot to Richard Matheson and I Am Legend as well. Um, that that, yes. that has sort of a foundation more in sort of a, uh, a pandemic that, that evolves into an invasion of sort of vampire-like slash zombie-like uh, creatures. And it's not really a body-snatching element. Mm -hmm. But uh, it still is a lot to the fact that uh, humanity sort of changes collectively, and those yes. who are who are around and 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 sort of the status quo that changes around us. And if you want to toe the line of how how you lived your life, you quickly realize that the world is changing around you, uh, whether you like it or not. And uh, you know, I always found that what's interesting about I Am Legend is that other than being a tremendous influence for so many of zombie movies and certain pandemic movies. Uh, the idea is that there's an evolution, but it's not something that we, we want or agree with. And, and uh, nature is taking its course to sort of correct where we're going um, in, in terms of what we're doing to the earth. And uh, I Am Legend is what's amazing about that is, you know, it, it flips the story in that you think that, uh, you know, these hordes of, of evil mutants are going to, you know, get our hero. But uh, the hero comes to realize that he's the monster among them, killing yes. them. Yes. Uh, right. and, right. uh, yeah. and, and, you know, I feel like I'm getting a little tangential here, but I think it, it does connect with these films and these bodies. Well, that's an interesting contrast. Yeah, it's a very interesting sure. contrast. And that's okay. It's a, it's a very interesting contrast. And uh, that's one of my favorite books of all time. It's funny. We were just talking about it briefly last night when we recorded, Josh. <laughs> um, and the, you, that's the, I, was, I was hoping you would bring up that point, David. That's one of the just the most brilliant elements of that book is that without a uh, spoiler alert for the book, if you haven't read yeah. it, but the way it ends, you know, it's, it's his acceptance of it. It's his realization of he's, he's the problem. He's the disease, you know, he's the, uh, the, the thing, the, the monster of legend. And I, I love the fact that uh, as you guys were all talking about with the body snatcher idea. And, and I love that you also brought up the thing about Thanos, Josh, that th that's what makes him such a great, villain is because he's not inherently wrong titan was like most planets too many mouths not enough to go around and when we faced extinction i offered a solution genocide but random dispassionate fair to rich and poor alike they called me a madman and what I predicted came to pass. Congratulations, you're a prophet. I'm a survivor. Who wants to murder trillions. With all six stones, I could simply snap my fingers. They would all cease to exist, and I call that mercy. The hardest choices require the strongest wills. I think you'll find our will equal to yours. I mean, he's wrong in morally in every way, the thing that he's trying to do. But at the end of the day, right. his his reasoning and it's it's actually not wrong. It's not completely. You could actually go, you know, okay, I see where he's coming from now. I think it's horrific and awful what he's planning on doing. But that's mainly because it comes back to our ego and our sense of self and our, you know, we always want to preserve our family and our and ourselves, our tribe. Our tribe, yeah, but it's like oh, if it's the other if if he's gonna split it, you know, he's gonna wipe out all half humanity. As long as it's the other tribe, I'm okay with it. <laughs> but you know, as long as it's not mm -hmm, my tribe, mm -hmm. and and that ultimately, 
with a lot of the body snatchers, we revisited on Retro Movie Geek, the 78 version uh, back around Halloween time. And I hadn't seen it in several years. And I it just it bowled me over with how fantastic it is not to you know, spoiler alert, my future rating for that movie. Uh, but it, it's <laughs> it, it is it is an insanely, insanely great film. And I think one of the things that jumped out at me, though, after watching it, because it had been so long, was this idea that there's a, a truth in that that th- one of the things that makes us human and makes it so great to be human and the ability to love and have emotion is also our greatest weakness. And it is the thing that causes all the wars and the hatred and the rape and the violence. It's, it's, it's that very thing that if you took that element out, I mean, you still, it's that idea of, are you made up of your memories, right? The idea that somebody has, you know, dementia or Alzheimer's and they lose their memory. They lose their sense of self. It's such a terrifying idea, but these, all these people still have all the same memories, According to the lore, if you listen to how they, I mean, they all have the memories, they have the experience. Nothing is different right. except their reaction to these things. Well, and also you talked about, you know, there's a loss of individuality. And yes. that's what these these movies are also about, is that the fact that you, you have to be uh, among the collective. You can keep your own memories. You can keep your own personality to a certain degree, but you have no individuality. And that's what this is sort of stomping down on. And so like the larger message arguably is that uh, you get reprimanded uh, against being a, a unique individual, no matter how different you are, because everyone has to step in line. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, always, I always found uh, body snatchers talking about, you know, when you're talking about um, uh, understanding Thanos's point of view, whether or not you agree with it or not, you could at least uh, identify with what he's talking about because you can understand his logic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing goes with with body snatchers mm-hmm. because they say, "Listen, you're, you're just it doesn't hurt. All you have to do is go to sleep, and then you're one of us. You still know who you are. You still remember us, but it's different now, and you can't quite. It's not entirely tangible, and and because you don't know what it is." And because you obviously see everyone is becoming a the Borg, uh, it's ultimately a, a frightening thing. But there's a certain there's a certain acceptance that if you give into it, it is not a horrible thing because you you're still alive. Uh, although you know your real body becomes a husk that they put in the garbage. So you know. <laughs> well, yeah, other than that, other than that, <laughs> that's a slight detail. Yeah, it's just a, it's, all, it's all about the little details. But but to your point that it's that element that makes it and I, I hope this doesn't take the wrong way that people think I'm secretly desperately wanting to be taken over by a body snatcher but there's something tantalizing I mean if you're somebody who deals with anxiety if you're somebody who deals with a, a just a lot of emotional issues or mental health problems the idea that you know no, no pun intended snap of your fingers that it could go away I, I mean there's something to be said for that as not being that horrible for everyone. I can see why the vast majority of us wouldn't want it, but I think there's probably a percentage of the population. So I think it's that almost tantalizing element of it, that it's almost tempting. Like it's, it's like the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge is this tempting thing that if you do it, you'll feel better in a way. Cause you'll feel nothing, right? To feel nothing, yeah. you'll feel better. Well, it, it's, it's the gentrification of the human race and, and it's the eradication of culture that we all fear. And it's also the appropriation of culture that we currently uh, battle over on a daily basis as well. Um, these, these all things, all these things come into play, and there's arguments for both sides in terms of you know the benefit for for society 
versus losing your individuality at what cost? And these are, I think, always great and relevant and timeless questions. I also see, you know, in the in the difference between something like I Am Legend and and these body snatcher films, at least the more modern ones, there is this division in perspective from for our protagonist who is fighting against this and really saying, no, it's, it, it's all these flaws that make us human. And it, I, I like you said ego, Joel, cause I think that does play to our human ego mm-hmm. a lot, but the idea is just like, no, we, we need to fight for it, <laughs> for all of our defects. You know, that's, that's what's real is, is our, so it was, it was certainly written by, uh, you know, an artist, uh, an Enneagram four, but we're valuing those, those faults. And that's what makes us human. I think in the eyes of a lot of our, protagonists in these films and ultimately is that the point of view of the film you know to some degree we we can't let them win i feel like in the original like the 1956 version our hero looks like an insane person at the end of the film almost i mean he's he's up against something unstoppable but he he seems crazy whereas i feel like at the end of the thing or the faculty, for instance, these are the, these are heroic figures who are holding on to humanity and they're going to fight till their last breath. And I feel like those are kind of different. I don't know feelings. Well, I, and, I, and I think that's why why one of the great elements of the 1956 Body Snatchers that sort of creates the template is that we all identify with the crazy guy because we know he's not crazy. He's right, he's right. freaking out, but we all know that. Um, and 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 they they sort of capitalize on that in the 1978 version with the same actor. Uh, you see a crazy person on the street freaking out in in you know a, a downtrodden area, and you're like, right. well, that person's nuts, and we're all going to ignore them. But they just might be right, but we're not going to pay attention to them. And that's why, as a society, we're going to quickly break down in uh, epidemic proportions because no one wants to stand up and and pay attention. And you should always pay attention, especially if that person's Kevin McCarthy. Yes. That is yeah. a fact. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Lock the door. Lock the door. They're coming. They're Please. coming. Help. Help. They're coming. They're coming. Listen to me. You're next. Please. Please. You're next. We're in danger. Please listen to me. Something terrible. Please. You're next. Here they are. They're already here. Come. You're next. As I was sitting here thinking about like the whole idea of, of individuality and and what it is that makes us human, is it memories? Is it is it the emotions? I mean, I, I, I for some reason I was just thinking of um, Tarkovsky's Solaris. The whole idea that 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 the lead character, his wife, is alive again and he wants to hold on to her, but then the wife starts to question. You know, I remember things, but. I kind of don't. And, and, and am I really the person you think I am or am I just a facsimile of that person? And, um, even decides to take their own life at one point only to come back and realize that they're kind of stuck in this, in this cycle. It's, it's almost as if, you know, the lead character, is he being haunted by this person or is this person being tied down to the lead character? Uh, you know, I, I thought that I just, I couldn't get that out of my mind as you guys were talking about um, the whole idea of individuality. And a lot in a lot of these body snatcher movies, the turned, if you will, are saying, come on over. It's really not that bad. So here's somebody you've been, you know, you've known for a fair portion of your life telling you, come join us. And yet these characters are still fighting for that individuality. They, they want to keep, they want to hold on to what makes them individuals. 
Um, and I'm just, I'm just sitting here trying to think, what would I do if everybody around me was saying, come join us? What decision would I make? Would I fight for my individuality or would I capitulate? Would I say, absolutely, let me join you. It, it's, um, it's just interesting to, uh, to, it's an interesting, uh, concept, I think to, uh, and I think everybody would have a different answer for that. And I think to drive home your point, Dave, would also be to say that it's also human nature that we're social creatures. And in the end, we usually, not to be cynical about it, tend to succumb to what the, the pressure is, you know, where the pressure is right. coming from. So there's, there's almost an, an inevitability, it would seem to me, that in a lot of these movies, especially as obviously is definitely there in the 78 version, that fight as much as you will. That's great. That's, 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 that's a nice, it's a very, I am legend thing for you to do, <laughs> but in right. the end, you know, except, <laughs> except it or don't it's coming, buddy. You know, Philip Kaufman loves to talk about the poddiness of people in real life or in, in his film. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get too, I, I don't want to wade into political waters as much, but he was, he was very quick to draw connections with the, the politics of our contemporary times. When I spoke with him on the 40th anniversary of, uh, body snatchers, uh, his body snatchers. And we, uh, we can link to you know, the, your interview with him uh, on your blog, if that's all right, from our from yeah, you could do out. you could do the one on the blog. I wrote it for the Hollywood Reporter for Heat Vision, so you could do okay. the Heat Vision uh, uh, the Hollywood Reporter, or you could do it on uh, it came from blog .com. It's on there. Um, I just found that to be you know they, there's also a religious element of this as well. Uh, however, people want to. They, they, I, what I find very interesting is, I, I, and this is my personal take on religion, is it's, it's pervasive, it's worldwide. Um, you know, if you're Jodie Foster in contact, you, have, you don't represent the human race, whether or not you believe in science or religion, because religion is so pervasive. Uh, and and there, there's a certain element of uh, belonging and uh, arguably cultism in a good way or a bad way with all sorts of religions. And uh, it's all around us already. And it's all about how much do we want to give up our individuality versus being part of a, uh, a belonging, a place, a place to confide in others of like-minded uh, souls. But it's not always the best thing for everybody or the human race or necessarily for the individual. Um, there, there's a lot, large themes here. And it's, it's one of those things where I think about this stuff every day because I, I when I was talking about when, when there's something ever so slightly askew, for the most part, we accept all of this in our in our daily life as as enriching elements. But there are certain ways of looking at it as well, where sometimes it's, it's a little more nefarious. I like the um, emotionless aspect of a lot of these films and the 2007 version it even goes so far as you know if you sweat basically you you're, you're human because your heart rate is elevated enough that uh you can mm -hmm. be identified if you have a little sweat on your brow um that element kind of goes away in the faculty and i think that's the reason i really enjoy that film because it's about a group of outsiders in that film these are people who don't fit into the group already. They're all the drug dealer and the nerd and the jock who doesn't want to be a jock anymore. He wants to focus on his studies and they're kind of the new girl and the girl who's outcast because of her perceived sexual orientation. And so they're all people who don't want to be part of the high school experience. And I think that's just a fun way to play with these themes because they, and they get rid of the emotion 
portion is what I was trying to lead up to. They say these, these people aren't emotionless stuff, but they want them to become part of what we're doing. Join, just do what we're doing, fall in line, do what we're all doing. And that's the thing to fear in, in that film. And I think that's a fun way within the context of a high school movie to frame mm-hmm. uh, the story. S- 16 candles meets body snatchers. Yes. But not really. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I'd love to point out a couple other films that I think uh, sometimes, you know, the alien invasion comes from a, a more organic thing that you can't detect. Mm-hmm. Other times it's in your backyard. I was just watching uh, Toby Hooper's remake of invaders from Mars, the 1986 remake. Yes. Um, mm. I've always loved that. And that's really, that's sort of kind of body snatchers, you know, in the first half and alien in the second half. Um, but it's really great where, you know, you wake up one morning and, uh, you, you, you have such loving parents and the next day something's just completely off with your dad. Um, you know, that happens, uh, that's a reflection of daily life as well, sometimes in, in families as well. Um, and, and I think another alien sort of contagion film that's super fun that I think is, is worth mentioning is The Hidden in 1987. Oh, great movie. Hmm. Uh, because that that's an undetectable alien uh, that's going from person to person and taking them over. But it, instead of having them be conformists, it turns them, you know, their, their craziest uh, instincts go, uh, you know, come to light. And that's another, the sort of a, the polar opposite of losing your individuality. This is sort of a hyper, hyper uh, materialization of that, which I think is really fun. That's interesting. I remember when The Watch came out. Do you guys remember that film? I was really hoping <laughs> that I'd have a really funny body snatcher kind of invasion movie, covert invasion movie. I was a major disappointment <laughs> when I when I saw oh, that. Well, film. Was it, it was wasn't like, that the right? one that was uh, because it could, there was a, a, a I guess it was around the Trayvon Martin thing. It was originally called Neighborhood Watch. Is that the one? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. With Vince Vaughn and yeah. Yes. Exactly. What about the Puppet Masters? I never saw that one. Did you guys see Donald that? Donald Sutherland. Film? Yes. 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 That's on my list. Yeah. The high based and, on and the Highland book, right? Right, which predates uh, Jack Finney's 1954 novel by three years. Yes, and the 1994 movie is really good. Not to be confused with any of Charles Band's, you know, Full Moon Puppet Master movies. Not not tiny terror movies. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) no, this one's called The Puppet Masters. Donald Sutherland and 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 folks, Forrest Whitaker. Uh, It's it's really good, and it's what's different in this is that the alien attaches itself like a parasite. Uh, and and gets into your cerebral cortex and controls you that way, but it's literally physically attached to your back. It's pretty good. I, I do recommend it. Which kind of reminds me of Hinn Lauder's brain damage, if I'm remembering that one correctly. Doesn't uh, the, that the, yeah, the parasite yeah, yeah. and that do something similar? Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, totally a yeah. little bit different, but <laughs> yeah, very very different. Slightly. <laughs> Much more, and for anyone who hasn't seen Brain Damage, I highly, highly recommend oh, it. Oh, for Very sure. Very odd and fun and entertaining. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. With ties to Basket Case, there's a great oh. scene where there's a nice crossover right. moment. Yeah, my, my co-host on Retro Movie Geek <laughs> like to make fun of the fact that uh, I, I, I will oftentimes bring up how much I, I love not just Basket Case, but two and three as well. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. That takes takes the whole story to a next level. Yes. I think we we'd be remiss also if we don't talk about um, Night of the Creeps. I love you, David. Thank you for bringing <laughs> up Night of the Creeps. That is in my top ten. When I first started on the show, they they forced me. I was it was coercion. I tell you, they made me come up with a top ten horror movie list, which is like next to impossible because you you know you love so yep. many of them. But I managed to get Night of the Creeps in my top ten. Oh, I love that movie so much. That's the most quotable Tom Atkins movie ever. How could you not? <laughs> yeah. Right. 
yeah. <laughs> well, and and related to that, Slither as well has a, a very similar um, plot, at least in terms of the way that humans are kind of controlled by these by these monsters and they, mm-hmm. they and that one there is a borg queen you know so there's the <laughs> not, and, and we don't and we don't see that as much in a lot of these body snatcher movies i guess my, maybe it was because i grew up watching um uh next generation at the same time that i was seeing these movies for the first time but i was i, I guess there was an assumed borg queen type character somewhere at the head of all this that we just weren't seeing like a but I don't master, know the, right? exactly yeah exactly but we never really see that in any of the body snatcher or at least those titled body snatcher films extra is another one i was thinking of when you guys were talking about um brain damage kind of movies um, great alien invasion film absolutely yeah so many of these films have these really horrific transitional scenes. Uh, you know, just having watched like Dave, the 93 body snatchers film where you just see the bodies kind of crumble and it's so disgusting. Extro has, I think one of the most disturbing body transition scenes between the <laughs> alien and the human you'll ever uh, see. <laughs> would you so like to gross. describe it? Wolfman? <laughs> <laughs> just watch it. Just watch it. Extra is great. Extra, it's kind of a cult film, but it's one of those films that I, I, I first learned on it, lear, learned about it because it was on the cover of Fangoria magazine. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, but but uh, so that's how it got on my radar. But uh, I think it's a film that sort of slipped through the cracks. It's it's a film that I had in in search of darkness, but unfortunately we didn't have enough robust uh, elements to to justify doing a lot on it. So we you know it didn't make the cut. But um, I, I know a lot of people are big fans of it, and I highly recommend it. Well, I have to thank our listener, David, from uh, the UK for introducing me to that film, because I otherwise wouldn't have known about it either. So The stuff arguably can be hmm. discussed in this as well. Larry yes. Cohen's The Stuff, yep. because although Definitely. that's not a body snatcher movie or alien, well, first of all, we don't know where the stuff comes from. It comes from the ground, but uh, so we think it's earthbound. But ultimately, anyone who eats the stuff becomes part of this, this sort of soulless collective. Yes. And they want you to eat the stuff, so you become consumed by it and, and, and follow uh, in line as well. So I think... You know, Larry Cohen, he was making a movie about uh, a satire on consumerism, but uh, he always has larger ideas at work. And I think that fits. I agree. I love that. You know, we mentioned the thing, but the thing very much fits in all of this. And I think what what makes John Carpenter's The Thing in 82 uh, just, just the ideal body snatcher film is because... You don't know. Uh, even with with the body snatchers, the way any of the body snatcher films, you know something's off about the people and the way they behave. Whereas the thing you can't even tell. That's more about uh, right. uh, contagion than anything else. If you think about it, because you you just don't know until it's way too late. And and paranoia too. I mean, that's like the 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 what I love about that movie is it establishes before there's even a threat that these guys aren't on the friendliest of terms. They're not happy to be stuck out there in the cold. They don't necessarily all get along with each other, you know, right up front. And then you throw into the mix, the fact that any one of them uh, could be a threat to the rest and the paranoia just breaks out in every direction. And, that to me is is where that movie is is the, one of the biggest strengths, along with the special effects, obviously. And it's just that's mm-hmm. one of my favorite. That's on my top ten horror films. I think it's number three. Um, John Carpenter's a thing. I even have it ahead of Halloween. I absolutely love it, and it's that whole idea of just the paranoia and the isolation 
and the way that he handles it. I mean, I, you, you, who can forget the scene with, you know, the testing of the blood. It makes me jump even mm-hmm. now, even when I know it's coming, I, I still <laughs> jump at that. Every scene. single time, Dave, I am right there with you. Every time. We're going to draw a little bit of everybody's blood. Cause we're going to find out who's the thing. Watching Norris in there gave me the idea that maybe every part of him was a whole. Every little piece was an individual animal with a built-in desire to protect its own life. You see, when a man bleeds, it's just tissue. No blood from one of you things won't obey when it's attacked. It'll try and survive. It's one of those scenes that it, it, it you know, oftentimes people... Uh, get frustrated with a lot of horror movies that tend to just go for the jump scare jump scare that if you want to know how to do a jump scare right that is how you do a jump scare right and i think it, it, when you're talking about i'm going to sort of go back to philip kaufman's 1978 uh, body snatchers one more time because i i feel like out of all the body snatchers films other than the original that's really the best one in my opinion um because that that really sort of that took that took the story from a small town setting to uh, a big city where uh yeah. It, it very much sort of capitalized on the pop psychology at the time where everyone was looking for an alternative beat to follow. And, um, you know, Leonard Nimoy's character as the sort of this pop psychologist, sort of a Dr. Phil type uh, of that era. Um, Dr. Phil's a little more bombastic, but in terms of what people, you know, people buy the books and they they, they watch the show and they, they hope to improve their lives without necessarily looking too much inside themselves to do it. Um, and, 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 and so that movie very much was sort of taking advantage of that milieu at the time. And uh, I love that. I thought it was great. Yeah. I'm right there with you. That, that is, I've seen, I, the only one I think I haven't seen is the, uh, the invasion. I have not seen that one yet. And I'm going to try to get it watched before we review them. Um, but and, yeah, if I could just sort of interject about that, I, I think that I'd be very interested to hear what you, what you think about that because it feels like it didn't quite, the final cut of that film, mm-hmm. which was uh, retooled, never quite saw the light of day. So it feels like it's missing something. I, I'm always interested in seeing. I'd love to see what what that film was before the theatrical release. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm I'm interested. Uh, like I said at the time, I remember hearing quite a bit of naysaying. So I just you know it was one of those. Where I was like, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. And then you know things slip off your radar and other things take precedence. But uh, for me, having I, I revisited the original. Actually, recently with my children, they loved it. Although I will say uh, it was actually I showed it to them for the first time yesterday as we record this. And last night, I, I it's I'm very conflicted about this because on the one hand, obviously, you don't want your youngest, who is 10 in my case, uh, to be scared and have <laughs> nightmares. However, I know that this movie will be with him forever. Josh, I, I, all I can think of was jo- young Josh, because Josh, I know this movie was so, you know, uh, just important to your upbringing as a, as a horror fan. Parker comes to my yeah. room. He's like, dad, and he was, he was actually shaking. Like I'm like, like legit shaking. He's like, dad, you show me a lot of scary movies, but I don't know what it is about that one. I just, I can't go to sleep, dad. I can't. <laughs> it's like probably because you, well, you're to- talking about the 1978 Kaufman. Version, no, no, right? no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm talking about the 56 one. <laughs> Okay, because I was going to say that that might be uh, child abuse. Yeah, but that one would no. I, I thought that went through. I almost did it, but then I remembered the dog. <laughs> oh, the dog would have done. The dog would have pushed them all done over it. the edge. They Absolutely. Been, yeah, because we have a little Boston Terrier, so she's close enough to what that dog. Oh, no, it would have been a nightmare. <laughs> I, I saw that movie first, so I think when I was uh, 
12 or 13 and that dog did it for me oh I, yeah it's creepy oh that gave me nightmares but yeah i know i went through i thought about if i could get like i was thinking if maybe if it went on tv i was like uh, you know with commercials and they cut out stuff but i was like eh, even then it's so creepy but uh no i showed them the 56 version for the first time and i wasn't even sure how my i've got a 13 year old a 12 year old and a 10 year old and i wasn't sure the 13 year old the 12 year old sometimes the the things that get them i'm always surprised by and i thought this might but they never seem to have a problem but boy my youngest one whew, yeah he was in my room at least twice and uh that's that, that, that that's what that's what i get after we finished recording lesson around 10 30 i'd say around 11 11 30 ish i get this tap 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 dad <laughs> so i'm very conflicted i went ahead obviously don't want my kid to be child you know be traumatized and, and and have nightmares but at the same time i know this will be one that he remembers and will yeah <laughs> you know will affect him you, you plant you plant those seeds carefully yes and they those seeds grow to be pods and those pods grow to be pod people <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am. I am. I am very strategic with, with how I do that with them. So, but yeah, the 78 version, I had seen that as well. Dave, like you, I saw it when I was pretty young and I feel like I may have seen it just on regular TV, just network TV. Yeah. Mm. I, I did too. I'm, I'm sure I did. Cause it wasn't until I think some years later that I realized that there was nudity in it. And cause the version I'd seen when I was exactly. a little kid, I was like, wait a minute. She had clothes on before what happened. Right. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, but rewatching it, as I said before, uh, it it doesn't just I, I don't even say it just it holds up well it is just a really fantastic film like, it is a true classic it's a compelling film and it's, and it's really timeless in the way they put it together it I really think is. the first time I saw it actually was I, I think I read the photo novel before I saw the oh, movie oh those are great that's a dated <laughs> reference for anyone who knows what I'm talking about I remember photo novels I think I have one for Nightwings <laughs> yeah, Night, Nightwing, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Close Encounters, and then there were big-sized uh, ones for Alien and Outland, but I digress. Does anybody have anything else they want to contribute? Any other any other Body Snatcher movies that we haven't mentioned on some level that you guys want to discuss? Uh, you know what? I Shivers, don't David Cronenberg's Shivers. Oh, I don't know yes. if, uh, if you guys have seen that one. I know, have. Uh, I saw it, that... I saw that recently, as a matter of fact, and that that's a good one. That I had always uh, been a fan of Rabbit, of Cronenberg's Rabbit. I thought, wow, that's mm-hmm. that's that's great. That's an like early Cronenberg. That's that's, and I always thought, well, that's probably my favorite, until I saw Shivers, and now I'm kind of torn. I don't know which one I prefer because Shivers is just as good. It's got that great scene at the beginning where they're selling this apartment complex, and you're seeing the the promotion of it, uh, almost like a promotional video or a slideshow. And we have a pool, and come and join our community. We have all the, and you know that every one of those images is going to play into the horror somehow. And, mm-hmm. and the way he manages to bring them all in, I think, uh, w- was really compelling. And just how it builds and how it grows, uh, just great. It really is. It, it really is tremendous. And this one is with a parasitic virus that kind of spreads right. throughout this apartment building. And right. So exactly. they didn't socially distance, and that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, people. Especially most of, most of the guys with uh, the one girl in that apartment. Yeah. Well, this is more about sort of STDs than anything else. But, right, uh, you right. know, that was also a response to sort of the free love of, of the 60s. And in the 70s, everyone was uh, slowly and surely starting to pay the price right, from right. their, you know, from their that element <laughs> of, uh, of freedom. And yes. uh, then, of course, the 80s, it all just sort of came to a slithering halt, you know, with right. uh, the age crisis. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it's also interesting to see that in terms of uh, the spread of disease and the how it affects people's lives. And uh, it follows is obviously a more uh, recent example of that. Uh, so 
I, I didn't want to get into a whole discussion of STDs, but it is kind hey, of it's a, it's adjacent with what we're talking about. It's you know? body snatcher adjacent. We're good. Yes, right, right. we do. We 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 it's just body part room. snatcher. Yeah, there, yeah, there, <laughs> I did want to thank you for talking about the thing because our listeners have heard us talk about it. Ad not it's in. I think yeah. all three of us, at least in our top three horror movies of all time. So we talk about it like every episode. basically. <laughs> so it, it was nice to get some fresh perspective on that film. Can I ask you, and I apologize if you, I'm sure you've talked about this ad nauseum as well is, uh, do you have uh, positive thoughts about the prequel? I, I personally, I love it. I know that there are people who loathe it and I've had very intense conversations with those people. There are a lot of things wrong with it. I mean, there, and well, when I said wrong, there are a lot of things I personally dislike. A lot of that has to do with CGI. I thought it was such a fun evolution of like the test scene that, that Joel was talking about with testing the blood. I love how they evolved that idea with inorganic material in that film. I thought that was fun. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I'm kind of a fanboy, So I, I just like the extension of anything. I'm a watch the extended version of the Lord of the Rings kind of guy. Like just give me more of whatever I like and I'm fine with it. I didn't think it stepped on the toes of the original and I enjoy expanding that universe as long as it doesn't step on the toes of it. And it was really the CGI that I thought was the most offensive element probably yes yes well i i share your views a hundred percent i think uh i think it, it, it did not need to be made but the fact that they did make it they were very true to uh yes. being being a a worthy prequel to uh john carpenter's the thing and uh up to that last scene that that, that carries right over and carries the torch right into john carpenter's the thing i think is wonderful and that that gave me goosebumps i thought that was wonderful yes. but I, I i sadly and reluctantly share your uh you know this is sort of the collective what would collectively derailed anyone's appreciation for this film was the way that the effects were handled, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, I think that anyone who doesn't know about it, I'm sure you guys have talked about this as, as well, but it's interesting and, and, and informative to go down the rabbit hole of amalgamated dynamics, uh, oh, yeah. Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff and all the amazing designs and practical effects they, they put together for this mm-hmm. thing prequel that were really fantastic and on par with uh, John Carpenter's The Thing and Rob Bottin's work and Stan Winston's yes. work as well on that. A lot of people don't realize that Stan Winston did, did work on that as well. But uh, the problem was, was there was sort of a, an impasse when it came to CGI versus practical and they tried to do a blend and it didn't work. And then the, uh, the cooks, too many cooks in the kitchen took over. But there's yeah. lots of uh, test videos uh, of that material. Uh, and it looks good. And ADI stuff. And it, it's really great. And it's kind of fun to sort of at least think, what if? It, it is really frustrating, especially one of the things that never looks good is CGI fire. And they had real fire on the set. So you just right. you watch some of those outtake scenes that you're talking about and you think, they they had fire. Why did they have to create CGI fire? <laughs> CGI fire, CGI blood spurts, um, yeah. and and a lot of money goes into those uh, to to doing those. And I would think uh, you look at some of the older practical effects. I mean, uh, maybe not necessarily the thing, but what Tom Savini was doing. That how can that be 
how can doing CGI be more cost effective? Is it now just that, well, everybody else is doing it, so we've got to do it, even if we don't have the money to pour into it. We don't have 80 million to pour into it like the studios do for the Marvel movies. So what we're going to do is going to be subpar, but it seems to be the way everybody's going, as opposed to doing practical, which you watch a movie like The Prowler, you think people are dying in that movie. So <laughs> well, you need a Tom Savini on a movie like that. And I think yeah. what, what happens ultimately is that uh, I think people's, and I, I speak in a very general sense, but I think producers, filmmakers, their heart is in the right place. Uh, but when they see that how, if they want to go the practical effects route, these days it's an expensive proposition. Hmm. And so uh, all their dreams are dashed when they realize that they can't afford it. Uh, and so they, they want to try and find a, a compromise and then they realize that it doesn't blend well and yeah. then they end up just writing over it so to speak with T cgi for the most part and it just doesn't work mm -hmm. and uh you have that a lot and and then there's a certain you know a lot of people like to be sort of polarized where they're anti-cgi uh and and uh, there's a there's a fine you know I, I'm a I'm very much a practical effects uh, champion but there's a way of of having practical effects as your base with a CGI sweetening that you don't even recognize or realize is there and uh, you can have an extremely effective movie uh, yes. and and ultimately I'll, I'll go one more and I'll just say and this might be an obvious statement but uh, some of the best CGI is the stuff that you didn't know was CGI yes. the problem with a lot of uh, effects driven films is that you're looking at the effects and you're scrutinizing that whereas you might be looking outside a window and there's a, a, a missing telephone pole and that just destroyed the uh, the, the vision of, of a sort of a time period piece you don't you would never realize that they they painted that out and that changed right. everything. And and it's the invisible CGI that we don't even recognize that you really have to recognize is, is actually quite good in filmmaking these days. Absolutely. I think any time that it is, like Zodiac is a great example of what you're talking about, how uh, David Fincher replaced all of these San Francisco backgrounds to get the time period correctly. And it's completely invisible. You don't notice it. And that's fantastic. I think where probably a lot of horror fans, especially because we are so into our gore effects, I think when you see something that could be organic and in the same space as an actor, it's difficult, you know, when, when that isn't pulled off well, basically, you know, like mm -hmm. it, at least with practical effects, you have two organic things in the same space. And I think that makes a difference. You know, if, if uh, you know, you don't have a billion dollars, like a star Wars franchise to make, believable cj characters i guess exactly yes now josh i don't know if i've ever gotten to do this on the show or not but i actually have you to thank for watching the 2011 the thing prequel oh really yes because it was when you guys cover i think it was you guys do it you guys did a versus way back when on that if i remember of all three all three thing movies. yeah that's right yeah, yeah you did the original the original original then carpenters and then uh and and it you know no secret the thing if not my all-time favorite uh, horror movie of all time, de definitely always up there. Um, but that being said, I unfortunately, I guess, was going going through a thing. Uh, David, I'll have to be honest with you, where I, I basically heard the things about the CGI and I decided to be Captain Contrarian. And it's like, nah, screw that movie. I'm not even going to waste my time. And I did that that thing. And so I was sure. I was just done. I was like, I'm not even going to watch it. I'm like, nah, nah, forget that. So I avoided, avoided, avoided. When you guys covered it, Josh, it was something you said. And I've always, in, in exactly what David said here, when you brought up how it connects in the way it does and how you could just feel like you just immediately could go pop in Carpenter's film. I was like, right. okay, I'll give it a shot. 
I'll give it a shot. And I think because my expectations were so insanely low <laughs> when I went in, because I, I chip on my shoulder, um, I ended up loving it. And, and I totally get the argument about the CGI, and it makes me very sad that, uh, you know, we, we didn't get to see the potential of, of work that, that uh, Amalgamated would have done. That all being said, though, I was shocked at how much I liked that movie. And when it did, when it hit that last part, where the way it dovetails, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, this is great. Like, I absolutely loved it. So I have you to thank for that, Josh. So thank you. Many of my great film going and film watching experiences are where, where my uh, expectations were rock bottom or nil. <laughs> <Right>. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you'd be surprised at how surprised you can be by a film when uh, you just have zero expectations. But uh, and, and conversely, when your expectations are too high, yep. uh, it's, it's unfortunately <laughs> a lot of great movies. Yeah. Uh, are end up middling experiences yes. because of that, which is why I've decided for all future movies that I'm uh, that I'm really looking forward to. I hate in advance. That's right. <laughs> all right, so that wraps up our in depth theme discussion uh, and other things. Assuming Josh kept any of it in, <laughs> that uh, we have had the wonderful pleasure of David Weiner here. So, David, you want to tell the good folks where they can find you online? Uh, remind them again where they can uh, go to help support your awesome new doc that's coming out. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's a real pleasure chatting with you guys. I had a lot of fun and uh, you could find me on social media. My Twitter handle is uh, Tiki Ambassador, but you could find all my it came from blog.com stuff. Uh, all the socials are at it came from blog on Facebook, on Instagram and on Twitter, uh, even Tumblr. And um, for these movies, In Search of Darkness, you can go to 80shorrordoc.com. Uh, and if you go definitely to Instagram and Twitter, uh, maybe Facebook as well, you can find links to get that film uh, as a digital version. And definitely sign up for the newsletter. And next time we make uh, hard copies, Blu-rays, DVDs, you can, uh, you'll, get, you'll be the first to know. Uh, kickstarting as of April 21st, uh, In Search of Tomorrow, the 80s sci-fi doc. Uh, we have a spectacular cast. We have a Discord community. Go to 80sscifidoc.com. We'd love your support in spreading the word. And if you're a fan of In Search of Darkness, if you're a fan of sci-fi, if you're a fan of a genre film, if you're a fan of fun, then you should check this stuff out. All right. So thank you to David for that great interview. And now before we go into our feature reviews, we are joined by yet another guest. You know her as the bride from Gods and Monsters and as, of course, Station from the Sci-Fi Podcast. Welcome to the one and only Liz. Welcome, Liz. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. Very excited to have you back on the show. It's been a very long time. Yes. Absolutely. Very long. Too long. Very long. I, I can't remember the last time. I mean, I know it was after the meetup, but I don't think it was long after the meetup. Yeah, honestly, I can't even remember what we discussed. No. <laughs> and basically, every time there was something sci-fi related, I think we went to uh, to the, our friends at the Sci-Fi Podcast for some input. So I, yeah. it must have been, I don't know, to be honest, I can't remember. Tiny Terrors related is what would be my guess, but I'm not sure. All right, well, Liz, regardless... Happy to have you here. I guess technically yeah. Thank you, you, so much. you and I have spoken more recently than that because you were on Retro Movie Geek not so very long ago. It's been a few months, but. Yes, we did Adam's Family 2. Values, yeah. And prior to that, 
We did Excellent Adventure, yes, right? Yes, we did. We have yet Bill to do Bogus Ted. Journey. Yep, we had did Bill and Ted. Okay. And, yep, and we oh, will do nice. Bogus Journey. We were trying to time oh, that, yes. I think, uh, for when the third one came out, but at the rate things are going, that'll probably be 2023, so. Exactly. Right. yeah. <laughs> yes. So, regardless of all of that, you are here, and you are here to discuss uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Now, of course, this is a versus 56, versus 78, versus 93, versus 2007, right? Love it. All right. So then we will begin with our feature review of Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956. No, no, you've got to get out of here. Please. They come from another world, spawned in the light years of space, unleashed to take over the bodies and souls of the people of our planet, bringing a new dimension in terror to the giant super scope screen. It's whatever intelligence or instinct it is that can govern the forming of... Human flesh and blood out of thin air is fantastically powerful, beyond any comprehension. A cursed, dreadful, malevolent thing was happening to those he loved. This isn't just an ordinary body, is it? I never saw one like it. It looks unused. The sensational star discovery of the view from Poppy's head. And now an undreamed-of horror makes her life and love a vortex of fear. Jack! Miles, where did they come from? I don't know. Suddenly, while you're asleep, they'll absorb your minds, your memories. I don't want any part of it. You're forgetting something, Miles. What's that? You have no choice. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spreads. As the unimaginable becomes real, the impossible becomes true. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Can't you see? Everyone! They're here already! You're next! Round one. Fight! <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a 1956 Don Siegel film. It is based on the Jack Finney novel, The Body Snatchers from 1955. And it stars Kevin McCarthy and a host of other folks in a small fictional California town of Santa Mira. Um, from IMDb, it says a small town doctor learns that the population of his community is being replaced by emotionless alien duplicates. And so what you have here are these plant spores that have fallen from space and they mature into pods. And then uh, inside those pods, human life like life forms grow until they have essentially produced a duplicate of the person nearest to the pod. And then they replace them. And uh, these new beings uh, are basically taking part in an invasion of our Earth and quietly replacing us one by one. And it is only this small town doctor who is taking uh, this seriously. And as we kind of alluded to during our theme discussion, I think that something that's interesting about this version of uh, this tale as opposed to other adaptations is that. I don't know. The approach to him as a, as a protagonist uh, is very different from the other versions. We're not sure if he is in fact insane or if this is really happening or not, which I think is a really fun, interesting approach to this story. 
And yeah, that's this is on my top 10 list of my top 10 horror movies of all time. And I love this tale as we've, as we've talked about the thing, what is also uh, another body center film. And that is either my one or two favorite horror film of all time, depending on the day you ask me. And so I, I think there's definitely something about this type of storytelling that appeals to me, but um, what about you guys? Do you, do you like this original version? I know you're as a, as, a, as far as I know, more partial to the 78 version. No, I, I, I'm more partial to the 78, but I got to say, I, I, if I were to put together like a top 10 list of uh, films from the 50s, this would definitely be on it because it is, it's, it's great. And the more you watch it, I mean, I was watching it again today, actually. And what I like is that this guy seems crazy to everybody the first time we meet him, you know, the, the, the protagonist, he's, he's, he's saying, no, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. It's like, well, you certainly seem crazy. And so he's got to kind of win us over as the rest of the story plays out. And he's yeah. flashing back to, okay, well, it was about, it started for me uh, on last Thursday, I think he says, or something like that. And he's and a really just, calm guy when the film starts. That's yes, what really yes. is interesting is just how, stark the contrast is b- between how he begins the story and what this uh, experience and where it gets at the end now the yeah. first time we see him he's already great well he already is is like manic because they've got him locked in a room and he's telling right. this in flashback uh so he's got to try he's not only trying to convince them he's trying to convince us that he hasn't lost right. his mind right and the way that they do that i think is effective and it it really you know, it, it, everyone says, oh, like, you know, an older black and white film, it's not quite as scary as a, as a more modern film. This one, I think, m- manages to, uh, to to keep that creep value, especially in the scene where they're looking, uh, they find the guy on the pool table. He goes over to his uh, to his friend's house and there's there's one of these uh, duplicates laying on a pool table, not completely formed yet. They take fingerprints. There's no fingerprints. They're looking at the face. It says it's, 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 you know, the, the lead is saying, well, it's, it's your, it's his friend, but it's not his friend. And it's, I don't know. There was something about that, that, that actually works even more this last time I saw it than, than any other time. At least it, it affected me more this time than in any other uh, viewing. My original memory of this movie was always via gremlins. That is how I knew this movie no. for the longest time. <laughs> And then probably I'm guessing it was my mid teenage years. I saw it at some point in there. And I honestly don't know that I had seen it too many times since then. Uh, I like it. I don't think it's by any stretch uh, a movie that I wouldn't have wanted to revisit. But for one reason or another, I hadn't. Uh, And then I watched it, as I mentioned uh, in our discussion with David, that. I'd watched it just the other day with my kids. So, uh, and so it was their first exposure to it. And as a result, I traumatized my youngest because he came to my room at least twice uh, to tell me that he was so freaked out by the very idea that he wouldn't be him when he woke up. And, and so, and I, yeah, yeah, well, he, he was, I'm, I, and Liz, you weren't here for that part of the conversation, but he was literally shaking. Like he was straight Aww. up. I, I know. So on one hand, there's a part of me that feels horrible and like I'm the worst dad ever. And the other part of me is like, yeah, that's how a horror fan's born right there, baby. That'll stick with you forever, kid, especially in the morning when he woke up and I was wearing a suit which and a tie, which I never have basically almost ever worn his entire life. And I'm like, are you ready, son? 
Oh, I'm just no. kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But yeah, why do you think he could trust you? Is my question. Oh yeah, that's really a mistake. So <laughs> I, I, I think that for the, me, the re, this movie works. I don't find it the scariest uh, of of the four, actually, but. I love that to the point you guys were making earlier that McCarthy's sort of descent into madness, I think, is the most clear cut in this one. Like, I think all the other ones, it's pretty obvious to the audience from the word go that I mean, I guess the 70 version does build up to it. But this one, especially, you really get that sense of like, okay. Is he a little, you know, and and then obviously as it goes and we see what everybody else is saying that there's more to it than that. But I don't know. I think the madness element is definitely more present in this movie than it is in, in yeah. any of the four. Uh, I guess Nicole Kidman does ride that line a little bit in, in the fourth one, which we'll get to later. But um, yeah, I, I think that's one of my favorite things about this. And I do agree with Dave. That part of the pool table is creepy. Uh, it's it's just there's an unsettling nature to the whole subject matter, obviously. And, you know, for the time, I mean, even though it ends as many of movies of that era, I guess, were sort of always forced to like you couldn't end it as darkly as, as some of the other ones may have ended. Um, although I guess you could argue there's really only one of the four that truly ends dark. Uh, but it it. it it still feels bleak. Like there's still a bleakness to it that a lot of movies of that time had because of the subject matter they were dealing with. But I just feel like it permeated this particular one. I think for me, and I saw this one when I was really young and it had a huge impact on me. And I think there was just that element of, you know, my wife is not my wife. You know, my, my, my husband is not my husband (laughs) that my child's not my child. That whole idea just freaked me out so bad as a little kid i wasn't afraid of myself becoming a pod person and i think that is actually something that's different about this film as well you know mccarthy doesn't seem as scared of himself falling prey to this as much as it is he can't trust those around him you know and i think something that the other films do more effectively like the 93 film for instance i think of the gore uh, surrounding the transformation is so scary you fear falling prey to that situation yourself whereas for me um this is more about the paranoia than than maybe some of the other versions so they all they all rely on it and play with the paranoia but for me this one that seems to be like the driving force for me yeah i would say i would say this one mm-hmm. the 78 the paranoia is the most front and center um, yeah well the, the 78 film is a, like legitimately a paranoid 70s thriller type of film but i guess this is i don't know it's the it's just not being able to trust those around you i feel that stronger in this film i guess than mm-hmm. i do in, mm-hmm. in other no versions. i think it's fair and and you know look I'm, I'm a sucker for a great black and white you know creepy sci-fi horror flick any day of the week so and i believe that this is an absolute classic and i agree with dave that it is it is the movie that if it's going to be in your top 10 period it it makes complete sense but certainly if you are compiling a top 10 list from that particular time period this movie uh, absolutely has to be on it so that's just my two cents but uh yeah i think it's great and it ups the horror from the the original story because you basically have this threat going out into the world in a way that seems unstoppable. That mm-hmm. is another thing that this film uh, changes from the source material that is then carried on to every other version of the story. It's just really like, uh, you know, the aliens don't leave at the end. They are going everywhere mm-hmm. at the end, you mm-hmm. know, and that is a freaky idea or they yeah. could be going anywhere at the end and the other versions, they tell specifically where they're going. But in this version, it's like, man, they could be 
they could be going anywhere. Yeah. And now have any of you read the book by chance? No. I did read it when I was. I have not. Okay. Okay. So you did read it, but it's been a long time, Wolfman? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. I was a huge fan. This, I don't know why, but this was a major touchstone for me as a kid. And I was just obsessed with this story. Yeah. It is amusing to me, though, that Parker had that reaction. It's serious. One of the first things I thought was, I was like, and this is how Little Wolfman was was brought into the the horror. realm right here buddy be aware yeah yeah all right so so liz do you have any comments on the 56 version before uh well only that i totally biffed it and haven't seen it oh okay well, that's okay there's there's always time there's always uh yes you know after after you jump off immediately go get it it's on amazon you can check it out yeah for sure yeah, yeah. no it's it's definitely worth your time yeah well one thing i do really like that entertains me a lot is um Josh, I have heard this about you that I know that you love the thing and that the whole body snatcher kind of thing is, a uh, is one of your, um, it's like your horror buttons mm-hmm. and you and Matroid each sort of have this commonality of these early childhood experiences with these movies you were exposed to. And there are very strong themes and you both have sort of your own, um, yeah, these like hot button ideas and, I just think that's so entertaining. And then, um, and then Joel, you know, you talking about showing your son and having him just be so terrified. I wonder if he's going to grow up and have a passion for horror, sort of in the same vein. And that this will be his, like his item body snatcher movies. Cause it's what terrified him as a kid. Yeah. And it'll I can, be interesting to see. It will be. And I can either confirm nor deny if that was, you know, part of an agenda. I cannot. Uh... <laughs> Molding and shaping. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you're a Buffy fan. Um, are you generally a vampire fan? Or uh, yeah. 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 Generally. Yeah. One thing that I, that I talked about in the theme discussion that I love about these stories is that there has a similar, the, the monster could be anybody. Like it could be the person standing next to you, the person you trust walking up behind you in your house. There's not like, to me, that's the freaky element of these movies. And I, I relate it to vampire movies in that way. You know, like there's just this, the unknowable factor of it for me just amps up the paranoia so much. Yes. And similar also is the idea of, um, you know, with the vampire lore, if you're turned into a vampire, there's that sort of big question of, am I still me? Do I have a soul or what changes does, you know, with that kind of lore is the question of who am I or where do I go or what have you. And it's a similar question um, in this instance, you know, especially obviously having watched the 78 version, um, that's a really big theme is they're, you know, these copies and, mm-hmm. but are they really them or where do they go? Do they die? And it's, yeah, I, I like that kind of, that kind of mystery behind it all. That's a really interesting concept that we didn't get into too much, but the, uh, in our theme discussion, but I really do like that idea of once you assimilate, do you essentially lose who you are? You know, that Mm -hmm. that's, you know, the, the idea of being, you know, becoming part of the crowd is such a big theme throughout every version of this film and kind of going Mm -hmm. along with the status quo and what does happen to you? Like, do you lose you, you know, you lose your humanity. Like, I don't know. It's an interesting, it's just an interesting kind of thought to, right. to keep in mind, I guess, while watching these movies. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I, I think that it, what really uh, gets you thinking is that, um, 
you know, the whole idea of they're all saying, hey, come on over. This is really this is good. This this is. But is that the person you remember or is this somebody? Is this a duplicate? You know, do they do? Is this is there anything left of the person I knew? Because is is there like any glimmer of them uh, left that that would that would even make me want to go join them to to become one of them? Uh, yeah, you're following the crowd, but are, will it be you? Will it be something completely different? Will, will you cease to exist and this new entity will carry on as you? Um, it, it really is just sort of up in the air, and it's it's got to stay in the back of your mind as you're watching this and. And you're thinking, yeah, following the crowd is one thing, but, you know, will I cease to exist? Yeah, exactly. It's it's a personal identity crisis or, horror, you know, horror around losing a sense of self or um, are we our emotions? You know, so if yeah. we lose our emotions, if we lose our passions, our capacity to love, to get angry, um, to have drive and motivation, are we still us? Right. That's a fascinating, like psychological question, right? Because like, yeah. I think a lot of people struggle with that idea. Like, am I emo- my emotions? You want to be able to have those emotions in check. And then without them, who will I be? I think artists struggle with that a lot, right? Like you see a lot of artists are struggle with depression and sadness because they use that to drive their art. And I think I see that a lot. Like artists are afraid to get help for some of their uh, mental health issues because they're afraid they'll lose the core of who they are if they mm-hmm. lose that emo- that emotional strain. And it is weird like because they do retain your memory. So is it our memories that make us who we are or make us human? Is it these emotions who- that make us who we are or make us human? What is it? And that's, I don't know, that's something that, that's a question that I like to explore in my own life. So I think that makes these movies doubly interesting to me as well. Right. I mean, you could always plug your memories into a computer. You could write them down and plug them into the computer. That doesn't make the computer you. So that's where it is. But this is a walking entity. This is this is a living being that's saying, "Oh yes, you know, I I, I have the memories of this person, and I'm I'm you know I, I'm a duplicate. I, but am I a duplicate, or am I just am I a perfection of this person? Because they they try to sell that whole thing of without the emotions, you don't feel love, you don't feel anxiety you don't feel anything and that that's some somehow a higher level of um of consciousness i guess and it's it's funny because in star trek uh they got into that with the characters of spock which i guess we'll get to in a minute with the 78 version and i'm um, also data in next generation right. that they were looked at as almost like better better because they didn't act human you know uh, but yet yet the other characters still held on to that humanity and um, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's it, it is really Spock kind of. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yet I will say this, though, with Data and with Spock, and I'm, I'm not uh, trying to talk out of turn here as somebody who's only got a passing familiarity with uh, the, the Trekkie world. But there is a sense of um, inherent goodness to them that these people are devoid of. It's almost right. as if, yes, you know, Data's emotions as they as they are obviously manufactured from the perspective of programs because he's a robot essentially and then spock now spock i know can have emotion but then he goes through an extreme pain blah 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 but it's still there's this inherent you know goodness and honor and code these entities are completely devoid of that that there's nothing there Theoretically, but I think going back to the 56 version, what it I think does better than any of them is 
that the people and the change they go through is extremely subtle. Like it's really nuanced. It's not, you know, them pointing their finger going, ah, there's none of that. You know, there's no extreme other than when they're chasing somebody you know, like, you know, that kind right. of thing. There's really it's very subtle. And it's almost something that you would barely notice. Like, like I, I'm reminded of the scene where uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, and I'm uh, probably helped if I had it, the tab open uh, and the, <laughs> the actress who plays the uh, potential love interest with Dana Winter is the actress, I believe Becky. Yep. And yep. when they're visiting her cousin and she's like, she's saying about the uncle and that he's acting odd. Well, when they pass him, he's well in the yard. He does. He seems fine. He even smiles right. at him. And so they almost, it's very subtle. It's not, is in your face. Right. No, it's interesting. I mean, it's funny that Goldblum is in the 78 version too, because it reminds me of the Jurassic Park quote, life finds a way, you know, there's a, there's, there's right. that line where they talk about, you know, we adapt and survive. It was uh, the function of life is survival, right? So their, their only goal is to stay alive basically. Yeah. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to achieve that goal because once they've achieved it and we'll get into this later we should probably move on to the 78 version for yeah. this discussion but they don't do anything extraordinary once they've once they've taken us over they kind of go about the most boring parts of our day still yeah you know yeah still collect the trash and <laughs> march up and down the square right. you know i mean it's <laughs> I don't know. that's, that's kind of interesting as well so do you uh, want to go around and do uh, ratings and recommendations sure. for uh, the 56 version all right dave <laughs> your rating and review i would give this a, a nine and i think it's it's a definite buy i mean you have to own this especially if you know not just a fan of black and white but just a fan of horror in general let's just say if you haven't seen it in a while it's it's definitely creepier than you remember yeah and uh it is an 8.5 out of 10 for me uh, i'm always reminded of little gizmo sitting there that concerned look on his face as uh, kevin mccarthy is is yelling at him from the screen you know that they're coming. So I, uh, I highly recommend it. I think it is absolutely worth owning. Uh, it is an absolute classic Wolfman. Yeah. I mean, it's one of my top 10 films of all time. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. I think it was done arguably better in later versions, but I think this version is perfect also, you know, for mm -hmm. what it is. It's, it's a simpler film. I would say my only true problem with it is, in the way the pods work compared to later versions, but how are they to know? I mean, definitely people got more creative based on the source material, but I think the way that they approached it was perfect in so much as that, you know, for what it was basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah, 10 out of 10 mm -hmm. for me, it's a buy for sure. Oh, and I, I did want to mention real quick that it had my favorite director makes a cameo in it. Sam Peckinpah uh, plays the, um, I guess the water guy in the basement. Oh, that's right. That's director Sam Peckinpah. I saw his name in the credits and then I never followed through and figured to figure out who the heck he was. <laughs> he, he worked, he worked as a, a dialogue coach, I think on the film and um, they just brought him in to play that quick role. Oh, okay. That's cool. All right. Well, then that wraps up our feature review of Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956. And let's go ahead and move on into our feature review for Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. They come from a dying world. They drift through the universe, pushed on by the solar winds. They adapt and they survive. The function of all life is survival. Sleep. 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 From deep space, Sleep. 
the seed is planted. Sleep. Sleep. Terror grows. Matthew! 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 Like the others! Elizabeth, wake up! Get you when you sleep! Sit up! Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's got no detail, no character. It's unformed. All of a sudden, they're growing like parasites. Is it contagious? People are being duplicated. How do you know my name? I didn't tell you my name. I can't find anything in here that looks like a body. I saw its nose bleed. It looked right at me. You're looking at it as if it was human. It was not human. Now, the classic fear begins to grow. <laughs> We're being cornered. In a modern masterpiece of science fiction. They're barricading the street. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. From deep space, the seed is planted. Terror grows. So uh, this version was directed by Philip Kaufman. The screenplay was by W.D. Richter, also based on the novel. It stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Veronica Cartwright, Jeff Goldblum, and Leonard Nimoy. It involves a San Francisco health inspector and his colleague who discover that humans are being replaced by alien duplicates. And um, each is a perfect copy of the person replaced, only devoid of human emotion. Yeah, which sounds very familiar, <laughs> actually. <laughs> well, I think it's arguable that this is the sequel to the original film, which is another really fun aspect, I think, with the way they approach this one. We, when the last film ends, we see trucks leaving the small town filled with pods towards San Francisco. And now we're in San Francisco. And, you know, what's going what's going down is, is on a much larger scale. And the one thing we are to conclude from that is that they are literally the slowest trucks in history because it took them 12 years <laughs> to get from one California town <laughs> to San Francisco. They didn't start from ground zero. You know, we see pretty early scenes with Kevin McCarthy, the same character, in That's fact, true. from the original film. Well, same actor, definitely potentially the same character saying they're, they're already here and you're next. Yeah. So and, and then a huge group of people chase him down the street that's awesome for, yes. for one that they included him in the film but yeah. also yeah maybe it's well underway in a city the size of san francisco who knows that may have been there for 15 years who knows that's true that's my all-time favorite cameo i think by the way is um is uh, kevin mccarthy in this film i thought that was awesome so Liz, what are your thoughts about the 78 version? Had you seen it before? I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I've never seen these films before, uh, despite being a sci-fi fan. I have a lot of really weird holes in my movie viewing repertoire, if you will. I had never even seen Goonies until, I don't even know, maybe five years ago. I blame it on being the only child of a single mother. I, lots of, I, lots of weird things. I, lots of weird things did and did not happen in my life. <laughs> um, so I had never seen any of these. Um, I watched the 78 version and absolutely just fell head over heels in love with it. I think I've watched it three times wow. since. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That yeah. Great. I really, really love it. And, um, I love Donald Sutherland. Obviously Jeff Goldblum is solid gold. Um, <laughs> 
So this is really great. I love these movies set in these in the late seventies. I just love the nostalgia, the the warm knit blanket feeling that you get when you watch them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I really love philosophy, and I feel like I'm constantly talking about this, and I don't mean to be one of those jerks, but I am studying philosophy in school right now, and so I'm constantly trying to look at, especially entertainment through this lens, and look at what are the philosophical questions here, what are, you know, unpack everything, and this one is just bountiful with them, which Mm -hmm. we kind of already touched on questions about personal identity and who are we and what makes us who we are. And then there's also the flip side of, I don't know if you'd call it in like an existential question of, you know, what happens if we fall out of love? What happens if we lose our drive or our passion and just that fear in itself being in a Mm -hmm. relationship and your partner changes or you change. And I just, I really love stuff that tackles these kinds of questions. And then I really enjoyed the aspects of this movie. I I noticed common uh, theme that kept appearing. I noticed there's so much done in this movie where we are not allowed to see certain yeah, things. Absolutely. And yeah. and that's that's one of my favorite aspects of it that is the way that that um uh Philip Kaufman uh you know put this together. Uh, there's a scene at the beginning where uh, you know, the, the two main characters, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams, are in a bedroom. They're talking about a plant that she had brought home. But we're not in there with them. We're at the end of the hall peering into the bedroom. We don't really see them. I think we see Brooke Adams' leg at one point. Yes. But we're just hearing the conversation. So it's almost as if uh, it reminded me a lot of in, in Rosemary's Baby. There's a scene where Roman Plansky shot Ruth Gordon in a bedroom on the phone. Oh, and yeah. You only see her that. shoulder. Yes. Roman Plansky said it was when he was in the theater watching this. Everybody leaned to the right to try to see around the door. <laughs> Uh, as to what she was doing. And I get the feeling that that's what Philip Kaufman is trying to do for us. It's almost keeping us a little detached from what's going on and a little off kilter. And I think, well, I think with, um, with Polanski, that was designed for Rosemary's baby, not to, to let us in exactly what's going on, almost to be like Rosemary wondering what's going on. But that's what these characters are going through. That, that sort of, that's the psychological aspect of it, of just, what am I what am I involved with here? And I think he's doing that with the audience as well. And I love that aspect of the film. I really did. That's one of my favorite things about this movie, actually. I, I struggle with it a little bit. I think Michael Chapman's cinematography, which, by the way, he's one of the great, unquestionably one of the great cinematographers to ever live. I mean, he, he did Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, The Fugitive. Or more importantly, um, I'm seeing on his resume here, uh, Doc Hollywood and Kindergarten Cop. But um, he's just one of the greats. And I think his cinematography is one of the best and worst things about this movie. Like, I feel like in some cases it's really supporting the themes of the film in the way that you guys are talking about. Other times I just find it super distracting. And I think there's one choice that he does here where the camera is more reserved and calm when you're dealing with the pod people. And then it's more frantic as you're dealing with the human characters coming into the paranoia about where the danger lies. And I think that's a really smart choice, but I don't know, for some reason, some of the, those Scorsese, those big hard pushes in, you know, those clearly handheld shots that feel like giant dolly moves into close up. Those didn't work for me as well. And I don't know, it kind of annoyed me to be frank, but I love the way he shot the pod people perspectives where it was just these long, 
shots and smooth dolly shots and wide angle shots with things just happening within the frame. I just, I, it was so composed and like, I felt like that added a ton to the vibe of the movie. They're both in the car together driving and the man, uh, the running man goes by that's McCarthy, right? Yes. That was Andrew McCarthy. Yeah. And he gets hit or I assume he gets hit by a car, but we don't see it. We just see him turn the corner and we hear it and we hear the gasps and whatnot. We don't get to see what happens. <gasps> the policeman will help. Then when they're in the, the mud spa, um, Cartwright leads the, the one gentleman out of the spa and shuts the door. And I found myself expecting to start to hear screaming or something, but they just sort of continue on. And there's this really long pause where we're just watching this closed door. Um, and then I think the final thing that I was that I really noticed was um, when Matthew and Elizabeth were walking down the street, they're walking past strip clubs and whatnot, and we just are tracking their feet for so long, and we don't really get to see their expression or anything like that. So I just found all of that really interesting and was struggling to figure out how it fit into everything and what they might have been trying to convey with that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I, I think the division between the way they're treating, uh, I don't know, the, the, those who have transitioned, uh, what's the best way to say this? Um, those, you know, the pod people versus the humans, and then definitely the, the change in the way they handle the humans as the paranoia ramps up. I, the, they're doing a lot with the camera there. Yeah. It always work for me, but there are parts definitely like where you're talking about like, focusing on the door like those are the moments that are so great or there's that crazy shot with the priest on the swings with the kids oh, oh you know who that is that's robert duvall yes yeah thank you for reminding me about that yeah that's yeah because you get just this moment where you're like okay this is not a human they don't know that that's a weird image right they're trying to act <laughs> natural and they're not yeah. pulling it off and <laughs> the way that that's revealed through the cinematography is so surprising you know but then also then again right after that for me I don't love the POV swing shot right after that. that we get and that, mm. that's the, that's the more active camera, I guess, that bothers me in the movie. Yeah, I would say that for me, this movie isn't flawless, but it's pretty freaking close. <laughs> like it's, I I still can't get over how much after revisiting it for uh, Spooky Flicks Fest last year. I, I just I can't get over how amazingly good this film was and. Everything you said, Liz, about the, all the questions it brings up. I mean, and then, you know, getting into the idea that this movie, I believe, came out what a month after the Jonestown uh, massacre thing happened with uh, Jim Jones and in Guyana. So and you've got all, a lot of that aspect of the the cult and the new agey and the, you know, and, and just like, I don't know, I just feel like there's so many different, I believe you said the word layers, Liz, to this movie that I also feel like it does the best out of all four of them of very, I don't know, very clearly. I mean, in hindsight, people look at the 56 version and say it was obviously a response to either McCarthyism or communism or both. Okay. Like that's the thing. This movie, I feel like being that it's just, you know, a few years after Watergate and it is a month after the Jones said it, it feels, I don't know, so much more even clearer about what the paranoia is about. Like I felt, I, and I, we won't, I don't want to jump ahead to the 93 version. Really, that's my biggest knock on that one is the fact that that one of all of them felt the least like I was clear on 
what is the conformity aspect of this that is creating all the fear? Now, I feel like in the 50s, kind of everybody, at least, you know, everybody, I'm using air quotes on that, but there was a, a large contingent that it was all about conformity just in the culture. By the time you're in 78, right, you've had the counterculture, you know, the sexual revolution. I mean, a lot of stuff has happened and it's almost like this uh, fear of maybe reverting back to that more 50s time period. And, and there's just, again, there's so many aspects of this movie that you could come at it from. Um, I, it's not flawless, but it is pretty stinking close. That just my just my thoughts on it, man. But I I, I think the 70 version of Body Statures is one of the greats. I, I agreed. Yep, I agree. And yeah. the casting, the casting is, I mean, Donald Sutherland plays kind of a jerk. Yes, you know, he is. For, he for absolutely is. In the movie, he you, absolutely you is. sort of warm up to him as, as, as things go on. Brooke Adams, I think, you know, uh, uh, is, is good as well. But then you get to, for me, the two, you got Jeff Goldblum, who, you know, it's it's funny how good he is in all the movies, but he's always Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> you know, it's like the same with Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson is is always sort of Jack Nicholson, but yet he gives a, a compelling performance. And then you have Leonard Nimoy as this kind of new age psychiatrist, very anti Spock, only to become more like Spock. Yeah, you wait, wait, wait while, while, while playing a Doctor Spock like person. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> No, I did. That's I just love I love the casting. I thought that the um, the cast in this uh, maybe it's probably this for me, the strongest as far as the complete cast. Kevin McCarthy was excellent in the first one. Then Dana Winter in, in that scene towards the end, I thought she was pretty, pretty great as well. But this one, I think just the entire cast is uh, does a, a fabulous job. I feel like the the crack in Donald Sutherland's windshield is probably my favorite inanimate object cast member in a movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to, I do want to say, I assume everyone here agrees that Veronica Cartwright is a great actress. I love her. Like, I just, everything, whether oh, yeah. it's this or mm -hmm. alien or the birds, even as a kid, like she's really good at primal terror, but like, like yeah. but mixed with like this, I don't know. It's not really a sadness, but like she doesn't really get scared. Like when a kid gets really scared and they cry and they're like, she has this vulnerability to the way she does it that feels so raw and real. Like I'm thinking, yeah, that's probably what I would look like in this scenario. <laughs> that's that's how right. I would, you know, because it's, yep. I mean, especially when I think uh, without giving anything away, but nearer the end of the movie, like uh, you know, it's it, the way yep. she conveys certain things is just, it, it amps up the horror level. Like I'm always reminded of, of that key moment in alien and her yeah. reaction and how mm -hmm. real it is. And I know why, because of a lot of the backstory, blah, 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 but still it's really, she's just, I think she's great. Like I, I, I mean, in the town, the dreaded sundown remake, even that, you know, when she was in that, I just, everything with her, I love her. Yep. I agree. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, from a young child, whenever I first saw alien, I actually don't remember how old I was, but I was young she was legitimately one of the most disturbing aspects of that movie to me mm -hmm. watching people be emotionally unstable and just in utter terror like that, like hysterics, the epitome of hysterics is really off putting to me. Um, and it must be something too about like a, another woman, you know, identifying as mm -hmm. like woman to woman and just being hysterical or being, um, you, you know, it's similar to me for hereditary Obviously, there oh, was a lot a about point. hereditary that was completely horrifying. Yes. But for me, it was 
the worst part of that movie or worst slash most amazing, however you want to put it, was Tony <laughs> Collette's just her emotional state oh, throughout so that movie. And that how so true. she just gets more and more tightly wound and more and more just frayed. And mm. it's a similar thing to me. It is so disturbing and off-putting to me. So yes, she's absolutely amazing, but she's also been a person, an actress that I've just really dreaded seeing in movies sometimes because she makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. So, and you know, in that way, she does a great job. <laughs> and that, that, that amazing scene in alien, one of the, the, probably the most famous scene in alien where, all right, the minor spoiler for alien, but I don't think it's really a spoiler. The chest burst <laughs> yeah. where as awful as that scene is, you hear her going, Oh God. Yeah. Yes, and it that's, somehow yeah, makes yes. it a little bit worse. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's so real. <laughs> it feels so real. Um, I also did want to mention Art Hindle. He was in Black Christmas. Do you have anything else, uh, Station, that you want to throw at us? Unpack anything you'd like to unpack. Yes. I'm here for it. Okay. Are you sure? Go for <laughs> it. Do it. Um, okay. We've got the issues that were already raised. Another thing that came up for me was um, John Stuart Mill and utilitarianism, um, where he talks about it's better to be a human being dissatisfied than a pig satisfied because the pig mm. doesn't know, you know, they only know their side of the equation. And that's a really interesting, again, not completely separate issue from some of the other concepts of identity and whatnot, but it's which one really is better. And if these pod people don't know emotion, do they really know what's better? If we don't, if we don't really know what it's like to live a life completely void of emotion, do we really know that a life full of emotion is better? Um, And it's interesting to see the fear and the resistance that comes from stepping into a life that we have, that we're completely unfamiliar with. Um, that was another thing that I was contemplating while I was watching that I thought was interesting. I really like that. And actually the 2007 version deals with that even a little bit more than this. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So I think that was pretty much all I had. Um, that's very, yeah, that was really great. Yeah. All right. Well then do we want to do our ratings and recommendations for the 78? Maybe. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll start with Wolfman. (laughs) Yeah. I do not love this movie as much as you guys do. I'm not sure exactly why I was later to this film and I was obsessed with the first movie. And then I think I saw, the thing and the faculty and all of those types of movies before I ended up coming back around and seeing this 78 film. So I kind of became more obsessed with that side of the genre. And, and so I don't know, this one just didn't hit me in the same way. Did you guys, I like it, but there are things that annoy me about it as well. One thing that I thought was interesting about the film that we didn't, haven't talked about is that it doesn't get to the pod people um, for quite a while yeah. when it does though, it immerses you in the pod people in a way that none of the other films do. Like you're in it for a little yeah. while. It is disgusting. And they did a great job with the effects during that portion of, of the film as well. I will say I do like this movie though. Um, it, it's definitely a classic from the seventies, kind of the way that you guys were saying, if I was making a list of seventies films, this is in the conversation for sure. And I would give this one probably an, eight out of 10 and say it's a, a buy a purchase. Nice. Okay. So Dave, um, actually I'm going to come in at, at a nine out of 10. I think this is a buy as well. Um, you know, again, the cast was great. I did like the way, uh, that it was shot and kind of, I thought that that worked also to sort of keep you off kilter. Um, and I saw this on TV when I was younger and that dog, 
scared oh, God, the bejesus the ban- out the of me. The banjo dog, the banjo dog. <laughs> and uh, that, that, I think that was one of the images from my childhood that was sort of burned into my mind. I'm pretty sure it gave me nightmares, that dog. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, nine out of 10, I think it's a buy also, as well as the uh, original. All right. Well, I uh, I started off as a nine out of ten, but I talked myself into, and I was I was talking myself into a nine point five, and then when Liz started doing all her you know fancy highfalutin academic kind of talking, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm in it. Nine point five, baby, out of ten. This movie, it's it's not like I said, not perfect, but darn close to it for me. I love this movie so much. Uh, so nine point five out of ten. It is an absolute owner, and uh, yeah, that is my personal feeling on the matter so liz what is your rating well i would give it a nine out of ten and um anybody who's heard me on other shows would knows that i have a weird rating system people are always <laughs> shocked like they're like you said you loved it it's only a nine out of ten i yeah that's just how i go that's how i flow so nine out of ten that is very a spectacular for rating for me <laughs> yeah. it's very high rating for me um definitely buy it this is one of those movies that i would find i would I would weave this into a tradition, watch it once a year at a certain time, make it your Halloween movie, make it your, I don't know what, you know, make a whole thing about it and watch it regularly. Um, I really, yes, the dog, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned the dog, Dave, because that was like a slap in the face when I watched it. I just went, what? Um, and also just the couple of really gut wrenching moments at the end really sealed the deal, the deal for me. Spoiler warning. Um, the, the moment. Okay. So not only, um, you know, when Elizabeth officially sort of disintegrates and becomes a pod person and that, um, you know, the gut wrenching feeling that you can see in Matthew and Donald Sutherland, but then that very last moment when, um, Cartwright finds Donald Sutherland and he turns out to be the pod person and, Oh, just the, obviously her horror that she experiences, like we discussed is just gut wrenching. And then my own feelings about, you know, not Donald, not Donald Sutherland, (laughs) um, that, you know, we're so used these days in so many movies about everything getting wrapped up and having this like, Oh, we beat the bad guys or everything gets wrapped up in a bow, or at least it's this idea of like, Oh, maybe they're going to be okay. Maybe we don't get a a final ending, but we think everything's going to be good. And this was just one of those. Nope. You're screwed. Everything's screwed. (laughs) Yep. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. And and I do want to, since we are in the still spoiler territory, I do want to say the dog man (laughs) hybrid thing. I actually, when we covered it, I feel like we got into a conversation about, the whether how that even happened and if you pay close attention when donald sutherland's walking by he accidentally kicks one of the pods that is next to them sleeping so and i think you even maybe i think you may it's uh, correct me if i'm wrong because i think you guys both have probably seen it more recently than i have um but doesn't you you may even cut to a close-up of something leaking out but even if you don't he does kick it so my presumption Mm. was when he did that they sort of leaked together and that's how you ended up with that freaky mutant thing i I, and i think that you know and it it goes back to what what josh was saying about like the robert duvall priest on the swing that they're not as perfect as we're led to believe you know in the first ones or they don't even you know that that there are imperfections in even the the processing and the the evolution and i think that that dog is what uh, what really draws you to it, and that's the most horrifying, you know, aspect of it, or one of the most horrifying 
horrifying aspects of it is that they had they make mistakes too. And it's maybe what you're saying, Joel, that could very well be it. I didn't pick that up for, I'd have to pick the watch again and see if, um, see if I catch that. But, uh, you know, that, that there, there is there, they have their imperfections as well, as much as they talk about, you know, this is, this is the, the best sort of existence. And, um, boy, does it, it hits you hard. I mean, it hit me hard anyway, the first time I saw that. Yes. Terrifying. It's my goats. <laughs> All right, so that wraps up our feature review of Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. And we will now go to our review of Body Snatchers from 1993. There's something in the air, and it feels like fear. There's something in the night, and it seems like terror. There's someone in your bed. And it looks like you. Life will be simpler now. The only thing missing will be you. Mommy! What's the matter, honey? What's the matter? There's mommy. She's right there. What happened? I'm seeing people at the infirmary exhibiting paranoia. People afraid to sleep. Get in bed. Afraid of family members. Let it go! People afraid of themselves. We gotta go right now! Oh, Marty, let's get out of here. They're out there. They're everywhere. Is that my dad? We're gonna get out of here, Marty. Where are you gonna go? Okay, 1993's Body Snatchers. I'm just gonna rely on IMDb here. A teenage girl and her father discover... Alien clones are replacing humans in a remote U.S. military base in Alabama. Well, that's about as basic as they come. Uh, yeah, that that is the story, I guess, uh, <laughs> in a nutshell. Uh, you have uh, Gabrielle Anwar playing Marty, a young girl who actually acts as the narrator. So I thought it was rather interesting in this version that uh, there's a narrator. And her and her uh, family, which is her father, uh, Terry Kinney. The uh, her stepmother, played by Meg Tilly, and her half brother Andy, played by Riley Murphy, are heading to a military base. The father works for the Environmental Protection Agency. He's checking out some uh, some water. They're you know testing some water there, and he meets with some resistance on this military base. Arlie Ermy plays the general or the commander of the base, and Forrest Whitaker though uh, plays this major who. Um, has some theories There's some strange things happening on the base and he wants to be kept up to date on, um, you know, what they find when they uh, test this water, because he's noticing some very strange things uh, happening on the base. We really do follow Marty, though, the young girl, and, and she's sort of the, the center of the story. And yeah, let's just say that um, things sort of evolve and um, it is definitely a body snatchers movie. Uh, or along the same lines of um, it's basically a, another version of the two that we've already discussed. And what drew me to it was was seeing that Abel Ferrara directed this. Uh, yeah. He's such an interesting director for me. He really is. I mean, you go back to the Driller Killer, uh, but even some of his later films like Miss Forty Five and 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 King of New York. I just I, I I love his films. And the fact that he was involved with this, I thought, really piqued my interest and and wasn't disappointed by it. I gotta say that Abel Ferrara is a huge blind spot for me in my in my own filmography and i like the ones i've seen but i have not seen many did you ever see the okay. addiction 
I don't think it so. It came out in, let me make sure I got the it's right year. It's a 90s film, Yeah, 95. Think, it was it? mid-90s. Yeah. It's like this really yeah. low-budge, black-and-white vampire movie he did. It's very arty, as I remember. It's been a long time, but it, right. it, it stars Lily Taylor and Christopher Walken. Annabella Ciora's in it. So, Oh, no. I've definitely not seen that. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I, I would love to get your two cents on that one. Josh, if you if you still have the the arrow screeners we were sent, they did send us a screener of the ad- addiction. They are in Washington D.C., but I'll keep it oh, in mind if I ever go home again. <laughs> if you, if you, <laughs> you, if you ever get yeah. out of town, um, it's interesting because I thought the military aspect of it. I don't know if it worked as well as the first two films. You know, dealing with the small towns and and uh, or in the case of the second one, a big big city. And people sort of slowly realizing what's going on. I, I think you get that here. Yeah. I don't I don't know that I liked the military setting as much as I liked the rural and the urban settings of the other two films, to be honest with you. It just I, I don't like it better, but I like that it's different. And I think the what I I'll tell you what I do like about it. That you're in a setting where people are going to be masking their emotion. People are going to be acting kind of robotic from what the average person would act like Mm -hmm. because there's this military framework. It's really hard to tell if someone would be a pod person or not. And also the whole thematically, the idea that they kind of touch on pretty early in the the assimilation aspect of it is definitely something that's a high pressure setting to be in. You don't get, you don't get more conformist than being in the military. (laughs) That's right. About as Thank you for articulating what I could not. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, I, I totally get what you meant. Yeah. I will agree with both of you, actually, because I feel like for me, the weakest part of this as compared to the other three. So out of all four of these movies, this one, because of where it takes place. And honestly, now that we're talking it through, it's like, okay, I see that. However, I also feel that it's the most muddled in what maybe it's trying to say socially like all the other ones i feel like you can find those different layers and pick it apart and say oh you know this time in in history this is what was going on and it was a response to that thing i don't think you could do that with this one this is right after the gulf war bush quail campaign in 92 sure Maybe military was high on Abel Ferrara's mind at that time. And maybe it was, but I guess what I'm thinking is, is that, because I feel definitely the 2007 version is a response to the Iraq war and everything. Obvious. I mean, it's very obvious when you see that movie, but... This one, I was that's what I was trying to think. I was like, what was going on in late 80s, early 90s? So one thing I was thinking, okay, maybe it's just like some kind of response to the 80s in general, but it's it's very vague. It's not as to me, the other ones, it's way more clear that it, if you say to me, the 56th version, could you could take it either way. It's a response to McCarthyism, it's a response to communism. Either way, I'm like, yeah, okay, I see it. Totally see it. Yeah. I feel that way. The 78 version. It's about Watergate. It's about Jonestown and, and cults. And okay, I totally can see all that. Absolutely. And the 2007 version. You tell me it's about the Iraq War and about uh, how we're medicating ourselves into a street. Well, oh, yep, I see it. This one, eh. You're not buying Gulf War, huh? I, no, because I feel like that was, that was, no pun intended, and I'm not trying to to diminish what it was, but I remember <laughs> that that time, because I was in high school, I remember, you know, it was like, you know, we went in, we did our thing, and, and it was it was actually this sort of an anti-Vietnam, because after all the Vietnam stuff and growing up in the 80s, watching all those movies where, you know, the Vietnam vets were downtrodden and everything was so bad, and then to have this one military thing that was perceived as good for us. 
I don't, and maybe that, you know, maybe Abel Ferrer, that was his whole point was it was a response yeah. to that. But I guess I'm just saying, I don't get that. Like, I don't, you, you telling me that, I guess I could maybe, but I feel like it's a stretch for me. I mean, I can see that if you if you don't line up with that point of view, I'm just saying maybe for, for Abel Ferrara, that was it could uh, be. I, I could yeah. see that as a driving force. If you thought if, if you felt like the public perception, it was in acceptance of a war that you thought was unnecessary or unrighteous or something. I could see making mm-hmm. a film about that concept. I don't know I, what I would say is I don't know if the film really goes very far into it. I don't think this is a very deep film. I don't know that no. the first film is very deep either, but again, it's kind of starting from scratch and everything else was able to build upon it. Yeah. And I think the 78 film is a deep film. And I feel like this one is a kind of a step backward in a way. And this is a 93 film, but we're coming off the eighties and it kind of feels like the, an eighties movie to me. Like it has a, a shallowness to it in terms of the thematic material, kind of what you're saying, Joel. I'm, I'm not right. disagreeing with you other than I can just see that as put a potential touchstone that may have launched this film into existence. And, and I think that's valid, but can I now say the, the proving just how shallow I am? I actually really love this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, Me too. I absolutely love it, but I would I say do it, too. It's, yeah. I called the first film simple. I think this is a return to the simplicity of that first film. I see what um, you're saying. Yeah. Sometimes I say a film is slight. It doesn't have much to say. And, you know, and I think that's kind of agreeing with what you were saying as well. And I would say that um, to me, the 56 version is saying a lot more than this one, yes. just in my opinion, just as, at least what I mean, I'm getting from it. You take a film like The Thing, and that is a film that takes place in one solitary location like this, where the people, you know, are kind of trapped inside the entire time. But I feel like there's so much more depth to The Thing than we get in a, sure, in a film sure. like this. And I like this movie. Um, I, I really enjoy this movie, in fact. But yeah, um, yeah I, to just look at another body snatcher example with The Thing, I think that one is a much stronger film than this is and there's another 1950s horror film that was remade uh, uh, and i am in love and love and love with that remake and that is the 1988 the blob and i don't know if mm-hmm. it's because i actually from the video store not only did i have the blob poster but at one point i also had the poster for this where the you know the cocoon thing is cracking open you can see mm-hmm. gabriel Anwar's face and they have both of them had that kind of pinkish hue to them and and there's this the, the coloration but there's something about both movies that in rewatching Body Snatchers this time, especially, I don't know what, maybe it was just the way the practicals were done. I don't, there's something about it. It's obviously not as effects heavy as the blob was, but it still has certain, it, it reminded me of that. There was like, there were, yeah. you know, kindred spirits uh, of sorts. And so the the vibe and the tone of this movie and the look and the feel, uh, the, the cinematography has got, it, it has that early 90s look to it. And mm-hmm. I just love that. I mean, my love for this movie, I'm going to tell you straight up is C&D. Like it's 100%. <laughs> I thought it was great. I just watched I, uh, it this week. I thought it was excellent. A little bit hollow, but a lot of fun. Like, yes. Totally watchable. Yes. Everything about it worked. I didn't think it were. I mean, I, I kind of grew up being a little bit in love with Grey Bureau Anwar because the wild hearts can't be broken. <laughs> 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 so there's that element of it. And then as a Lost Boys fan, Billy Worth being in it, that was a lot of fun to see him as kind of the romantic lead looking like Billy Baldwin in it. And uh, yeah, and Forrest Whitaker, totally underused. That's an example of Forrest Whitaker as an actor who he's great in every moment he's in the movie. Yeah. He's an actor that could bring like a whole new depth if he had like two or three more scenes in this movie and he does it, you know, he's kind of just glossed over. So Just a couple, yeah. 
Yeah, and Christina Elise is fantastic. In oh, this she is so well. great. And can I just say, I seeing her, and I'd forgotten she was in this because I hadn't seen it in so long. Uh, the fact that she's in it, I love her in Child's Play too. And yet again, she's working with a child named Andy. Just sorry, side note. Oh, and, and let me tell you, <laughs> one of the things about this film, I think that that hit me hardest was that young boy Andy. There are two scenes with him specifically. Um, one set in a daycare uh-huh. where you start to see, oh, okay, yeah, things are not as they seem. And then later at home, the line the next morning of, do you want to go back to daycare or do you want to stay home with mommy takes on a whole yeah. new weight. That kid's got a dilemma. Yeah. And you just feel so bad for this little kid. It's real Sophie's choice he's got. Yeah, there. very yeah. much yeah. so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, really good child acting. He doesn't have a lot to do, but it's believable at least. Yes, so, yes, I agree with absolutely. you. Absolutely. Uh, I keep bringing up the way that they execute the pod people, uh, execute in terms of the special effects department, not in terms of killing them off. Um, I really enjoyed this probably more than any other of the adaptations. Yes, that I've seen. yes. I think this is the best version of turning someone into a pod person. I think part mm. of that is that we're in the post Freddy era now and none of the other films were. And I think they really utilize that. It's scary to fall asleep concept. Yes. And, yeah. and that works really well here as, as the, the, the nightmare on Elm And Street. I like too, that they make physical contact. That they, it, it, there's a yes. there is a mechanics to how these pods work that when it happens you're like okay you know I, that makes sense I buy that it's not okay. just a giant undulating flower like yeah, something yeah that's going nearby on. it just should be right. nearby you or something yeah this actually makes like a contact with you and and the way it does and and I love too that it gets all the way up to you could the the, the other version of you could be you know conscious and and there and it just that if in that last moment if they break it off. You know, it's it has to fall, go all the way through to the end. I, I really like that. Exactly. Aspect. And and this is, you know, the other two movies where we're, we're talking about, well, is it better to go over or is it better to, you know, keep your individuality in this one? There's no question. No, yeah, I mean, it's, pretty it, clear. it's not God. even like a convince. Hey, come on and join us. This is just a you're coming over yeah. whether you like it or not. And not to get into spoilers, but I did really like where this film ultimately went with with the characters. This one is just let's get them, you know, sort of ending. And I, and I, I, I really, I liked that. And the casting of Arlie Emery was perfect. Oh, of oh, course. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I will, I will say, though, we're winding it back to Josh's point. If obviously we don't know, we can't read his mind. But if uh, Abel Ferrer was you know, commenting in some way about war and whatnot, it is interesting to note that the ending of this movie is very like action. You know, yes, just absolutely you know, kill them all like God sort them out sort of uh, approach. Yeah. To it. Scorched earth, literally scorched. Earth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which having seen to. Invasion of the Body Snatchers movies come before this. I'm sure it was a very thrilling and uh, satisfying for an audience. Oh, <laughs> to sure. See, to see missiles flying at the end of this movie. Yeah, and, and, and it's and I guess you could yeah. argue it's it's slightly more upbeat of an ending as opposed to the '78 version for sure. But that being said, I this movie without giving anything away, it goes there. Well, what is the criteria for uh, what makes a horror movie a horror movie? Like, what was it? It was like you kill an animal. According to Dr. Walking Dead, a horror movie is a serious horror movie yeah. if it's not afraid to kill the dog or the kid. Yeah, well, right. I'd argue this is serious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really extreme scene there toward the end, for sure. So I'm wondering, just listening to you guys talk about you know, trying to figure out where this movie is fitting into the sort of the cultural feel at the time. Um, I was just looking. We had a lot of zombie movies during that time. 
And I'm wondering if it's just an idea of throwing the hat in the ring with a take on a zombie movie. I think really at the end of the day, that seems to obviously be the central theme of this is, you know, losing your individuality and of all these movies and you end up, you know, part of the group collective and, you know, there, there's, you have no more independent thought and, and setting it in a military, on a military base. I mean, it seems kind of like a no brainer. Um, but I, I guess from when I was trying to think through, there's so many touchstone moments historically that happen around all the other movies, including the 2007 version that I could very easily go. Oh yeah. Okay. No, I can see how that would influence. I could, I didn't just kind of point at them. This is the only one. Like I was just sitting there racking my brain going, okay, by 93, you know, Clinton is president, you know, the cold war is over. Uh, I was thinking maybe it's, is it a response to that? The end of the cold war, we maybe were more afraid of our, I mean, but even the idea of, uh, you know, the, the, the government being more intrusive. I mean, Waco happened in 93 and I was saying, think, okay, but when did this come out in relation to Waco? Of course you could make the same argument. If Jonestown happened th- you know, a month before the 78 version came out, it's not like that was a direct influence on it. Um, and and right. so I, I guess that's, the, but that was the kind of thing I was trying to think it was, it was something maybe around that, but it's just, it's not well, clear to me. Yeah. You mentioned like Gulf war. I wonder, you know, it could be Gulf war syndrome soldiers coming back and they're just not, you know, there's PTSD and they're not quite right. They have memory lapses and change in personality. It would have been great if it had gotten into that. It doesn't really get into that. There's a, there's a nod to the 78 kind of vibe. The fact that he's kind of calling the the father a hippie, you know, and he's kind of saying, Oh yeah, here to save the planet. It's, It's clearly like, saying we're in a new era now. And I thought that was interesting. And here's something that will blow your mind, Joel. Uh, This film was shown in competition at the 1993 Cannes Film Festival. Wow. Um, It received very positive reviews. Roger Ebert considered it the superior adaptation of Finney's famous novel. Wow. uh, Compared to previous adaptations. Gave it four out of four stars, praising it for its psychological realism and social criticism. So, Clearly, Roger Ebert saying, <laughs> so maybe just as a high school student, you weren't as keyed into whatever the social. I, I, or, or apparently issue. as a 44 year old man. But 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 then again, <laughs> I, I can I can I can also tell you that I have I keep returning to so many of Mr. Ebert's past reviews and some of the things he'll then say about a movie like, oh, I don't know, Breakdown, um, where he, the, the, the things that a movie that I love and the, his criticism of it. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I would argue, <laughs> no offense, as much as I love this movie and, and just enjoy the heck out of it, think it's a lot of fun. But if you really are with a straight face going to say it's superior to the 78 or the 56 version, you are out of your freaking gourd. No offense. I love it. I think it's great. But I think that is nuts. I think that Ebert stated, quote, as sheer movie making, it is skilled and knowing and deserves the highest praise you can give a horror film. Huh. I wonder if peyote, I wonder if when you're taking peyote right before you go into a movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really buy into most of his reviews. And okay. I, I'm okay. not saying I do here. Okay. Right. Yeah. I thought that was interesting that yeah. he specifically noted that there was some kind of. Does he go into what that is? Uh, I mean, if we want to go further under his review, we can. I'll I'll, I'll look it up and okay. And, we'll, and it's it's because I was actually um, on a college campus in um, during the Gulf War. And I thought it was interesting because a lot of the uh, students there were trying, almost trying to make it out to be like their Vietnam, the Gulf War, but it just never quite got there. Uh, I remember having to be, you know, I was in the communicating uh, arts production group. They called it Cap G at uh, the college. And they had an, uh, 
assembly right when the war broke out and they had, uh, you know, they brought someone in from the military and then there were five professors up there and all the students were talking about it. Um, and just a lot of shouting down because there was a ver- very conservative minded people and very liberal minded people and they were clashing and I was controlling the microphone. I had to go back and forth between these people and it was a little bit tense, but I do remember that you almost got the feeling that they, they wanted it to be like their Vietnam, their protest, and it never quite got to that level for some people. And then it, la- and then it lasted the like a week and then it lasted like a week and a half. And they're like, Oh, right. And yeah. it, but it, you know, it, it, there wasn't the ground war. It was fought mostly with, you know, smart bombs and technology that, that war, because we were seeing every night they were putting cameras on these bombs and yeah, watching them hit. Yeah, um, very little, the, the ground troops didn't go in until it was really just mop up uh, is what it is, what it seemed like at that point. I mean, that, that later on, there was a, a lot of, you realize a lot of horrible things. Like we told the Iraq, Iraqi people, you know, rebel against Saddam Hussein. And then we didn't take Saddam Hussein out of power and we left and we left those people there to deal with him. Yeah, that didn't end well for them. But I will say in, in Body Snatchers in 83, the Billy Worth character does make a reference to being in Kuwait. So, I mean, there is yeah. a, a passing reference. But I think, Josh, you made the point earlier that that would have been it would have been better maybe had they gone a little with. I don't want it to be heavy handed. OK, but I, I think that if they had gone a little bit more along those lines, it would have at least I'm like, oh, OK, that's what we're we're referencing with this particular yeah. movie. So I did look up Ebert's review. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's so off. He, again, and Ebert, if, for those who don't know, Ebert does not like most horror movies, and he really does not know much about horror movies. We just bring him up a lot on the show because he's, you know, one of the most notable film critics out there. And, you know, it's, we're fans, and it's interesting to get his take. But, yeah, he's so wrong. He's like, the first film fed on paranoia of McCarthyism. The second film seemed to signal the end of flower power and this one maybe fear of aids is the engine he doesn't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was saying there's nothing about that in the movie nothing not a single solitary thing you are absolutely right that's bogus my my own part maybe just i mean maybe because i was a child but my own personal fear of aids was at its height in like 88 that's when at school they first really started scaring the crap out of it no when when i let me put this way having having been you know 15 16 you know in that time frame you know when when the hormones are a popping no I remember that it being a perpetual, <laughs> you know, <laughs> point. Oh, yeah. There's one good thing that Ebert says in this review, which I thought was really interesting. Um, he's talking about the Meg Tilly character. And I thought this was right on. He was basically saying that he sets the drama in the midst of a family situation that's already tense and where the child is already feeling like, Oh, this stepmother isn't my mother. So there's like that. There's already that separation where she's saying this person's an imposter. Who's my, you know, my real mom, blah, blah, blah. And that's something I think a lot of us can relate to, you know, that those familial kind of uh, frictions when, when mixed families are together. At least I, I think, yeah, all of us or no, not Dave. The rest no, of us have all been no, part of my parents are divorced. And so you can kind of relate to kind of those mixed family situations to some degree, I will say that. And I think that that was um Maybe effective. that's what this movie is. Maybe that's the touchstone. Maybe the maybe it it's could be. maybe it's more it intimate be. than the other Except ones. Except I thought I thought that was the real mother. I thought because I thought she called him her, her half brother. It was and the, I thought that was the boy's actual mother. 
it's a little boy's actual mother, but it's not the daughter. It's not. No, it's not the daughters. You're yeah. right. Yeah. That is, that's a stepmother. Yeah, yeah, stepmother. Yeah. 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 So maybe that's it. But maybe, maybe this is meant to be a much more intimate a betrayal of, of of this idea of you know the like like to your point Josh about like the paranoia you could feel especially if you're older like I imagine you know I was pretty young when my mom remarried and, and you know so he's always been a, a big part of my life and and been a father to figure to me so that's different than maybe if you're older I mean I don't know I'm you know yeah. speaking out of school here but maybe if you're 15 16 and your parent gets remarried and this person comes in especially if they start acting not not like hey look I like I'm always reminded my my uh, sister's uh, husband was very uh, like, I'm going to help, but she's your kid and I'll be more of a friend. And he was always, he always kind of helped kept that boundary there, but a lot of people don't. And I, maybe that's, if we examined it more from that perspective, the family dynamics, maybe then I could get my head wrapped around what it's saying. It obviously depends on the individual's relationships, but sure. I think the dynamic they set up here, this is what Ebert says specifically. I think he's pretty good here. He says, Ferrara and his writers are clever in placing the body snatching story in the middle of a pre-existing family crisis. Marty and her stepmother do not get along. There's a sense in which the teenage girl already feels like her real mother has been usurped by an imposter and her father has been subverted. Even her little brother is an enigma. She likes him, but resents having to share love and space with him. So if some of those people turn out to be pods, the psychological basis for her, her revulsion has already been established. So I don't know. I thought it's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that is pretty good. I, I agree. I, that's I didn't and I didn't look at it from that. You know, I was thinking more of the military, but maybe the military, maybe this is more of a family sort of story. Well, the military is the overwhelming force in the film. Sure. But the family stuff is the most interesting stuff. In the yeah. Film. Yeah. So I Definitely. think the most the most important question is Liz, have we convinced you why you have to see the ninety three version of Body Snatchers? I'm gonna have to say no. <laughs> <laughs> Ebert's Ebert's review didn't put it over the top for you, really? Definitely not. Okay. No, not not when you add that into everything you guys said about it before. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay then. <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, you guys ready to do your ratings and ratings and recommendations as far as uh, yes, the ninety three version goes? I'll go first this time. Uh, I I'd be curious to see if I'm the highest on this one. I'm giving it an eight out of ten. I I don't know what it is. I mean, I think it's a combination of the look, the feel, the people that are in it. Um, I just I love that 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 line with Meg Tilly that's in the trailer and everything about, you know, where are you going to go? Where are you going to hide? There's that look on her face. And she's creepy too. When she does the the thing with the, without giving too much away, the little point thing, that's yeah, she, she sold that. I love, even though he doesn't have a big part, Forrest Whitaker, I, I really, I mean, I always like seeing him. So I really enjoy this movie a lot. I acknowledge it is a flawed specimen, <laughs> but <laughs> For me, it is an 8 out of 10. I think it's absolutely worth at least the rental. So check it out. Josh? I really enjoyed this movie. I think it is uh, not fantastic. It is, I think, the most superficial of all the Body Snatcher films. But, you know, I'm a horror fan, so I watch a lot of crappy movies. And I think if you like Body Snatcher movies and you want to see more, this is a fun one to watch if you haven't seen it yet. If you have not seen a lot of body snatcher movies. This would not be near the top of the films I would recommend. 
I would say definitely check out the 78 film, the 56 film, the thing, even the faculty I've mentioned a lot on the show. It's because I think it's a really good movie. Oh, actually. it is. It is really good. It holds yeah, up really it, well. It, 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 it yeah. This is kind of like a team pop. No, it's movie, a great movie. It's actually really good in terms of dealing with some of these themes. Yeah. And uh, this is below all of those. But if you just want another one to throw on because you're bored, this is definitely a fun movie. I would give this one a 7.5 and I would call it a rental recommendation. And I think I watched it for $2.99 on Amazon Prime. But. Yes, that's what I got it for. Yep. Okay. All right, Dave. Uh, I'm actually right there with you, Joel. I'm eight out of ten. Nice. Uh, I don't think it's as as I don't think it's as strong as the first two. Uh, it, it is a little more. Uh, simple. I think Josh put it best. I don't want to say slight, but I, I think simple uh, is is a good way to put it. Uh, strong cast and. I think the, the scenes where they do bring the horror work, uh, you know, that what they do copy from the 78 film, like you were, you were saying with, with Meg Tilly and you get that a few times in, in the, in this movie and it's always unsettling. Um, and again, just what happens to that poor little kid. I think that really, that kind of stays with you because this, this kid is at the, at the center of, of what's happening here. He's the one who knows before anyone else in the family, what's truly going on or, or that there's something very wrong happening here. Um, maybe not before Forrest Whitaker, but definitely before anyone in his family. Uh, so yeah, eight out of 10. And I think it's, it's, you know, I don't know. I would, I would, uh, I would watch this again. So I, I would, uh, pick, well, I, I do own it, but I would recommend <laughs> anybody else pick it up too. Absolutely. Yeah. I will actually say I did already own this, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, due to my quarantine situation, right. I had to rent it again. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So that wraps up our feature review for Body Snatchers from 1993. And now our feature review for The Invasion 2007. Pieces all over the pasture and in the yard. Why is it important for people not to touch it? It's contaminated. Could be contaminated. Something's happened. I don't know what it is, but I can feel it. Have you noticed anything? I have. My husband is not my husband. What's going on here? Doesn't hurt. Imagine a world where human beings cease to be human. Oh my God! The change occurs when the body undergoes REM sleep. Watch each other. Make sure we don't fall asleep. You can fool them. Why? Don't show emotion. Then they can't tell who is who. No one touches my child! We're gonna do whatever it takes to get through this. Mom? 
wake up, you'll feel exactly the same. All right. The Invasion from 2007 is uh, directed by Oliver Hirschbeigel. I I assume I'm pronouncing that correctly. And James McTeague, uncredited. And it was written by David Kajanich. It's K-A-J-G-A-N-I-C-H. So I'm going to go with Kajanich. And it stars Nicole Kidman, Daniel Craig, Jerry Northam, and the IMDb synopsis is, as a Washington, D.C. psychiatrist unearths the origin of an alien epidemic, she also discovers her son might be the only way it can be stopped. Now, I want to real quick go around the horn here. Liz, you have not seen The Invasion of 2007, correct? Correct, but I have been reading up on it, and I'm really disappointed I didn't watch it. Okay, and then so and for whatever that's worth, <laughs> and one and one of the oh, it's absolutely not totally fine. And then Josh, you've seen it, correct? I have seen it, and I own it. Um, I think this is right at the end of my stint of working at a video store, so okay. I just kind of you know I was again body snatcher fan, bought the DVD probably for like two dollars. Sure, so. sure, okay. And then Dave, you said you have not seen this one yet, correct? I have not seen it, but it's funny because you mentioned that uh, that director. And I was like, is that the guy? And I went and I checked, uh, not definitely not a horror film, but he directed Downfall in 2004, which is just oh, a brilliant yeah. Yeah, telling okay. yeah, of the, the last days of the of the Third Reich. Uh, absolutely brilliant film. So that name alone being attached to this uh, has me has okay. definitely piqued my interest. OK, Inside the Bunker with Hitler is the <laughs> is what that film is. The yeah. Hirschbeigel <laughs> film. Yeah. James McTeague is the director of V for Vendetta, the guy, the other director. Okay. Oh, another, yeah, another fun. Yeah, I love V for Vendetta. Do you know, Josh, why he's uncredited? I do not know what happened there. I know, I remember reading at the time that um, there was some big crazy thing happened and the film got taken away from the uh, director. I remember just the rumblings about it, but I had, I did not go back and research it as I should have probably. Okay. Of course, according to, take it for what it's worth, I just found this on, on the IMDBA. Uh, trivia. It says originally wrapped in early 2006, the film underwent massive reshooting in 2007. The reason for this was the studio, which didn't like the cut that director Oliver Hirschweigel delivered. To, to, to change that, Lily Wachowski and Lana Wachowski were brought in for rewrites and James McTeague to direct there the new go. scenes. So there it is. Okay. Mm. Which is yeah, interesting okay. because uh, I don't, I don't, want to get just yet Josh how you feel this because I want to lay out the idea here I had not seen this before I watched it last night I remember after it came out I don't remember where but I just remember hearing a lot of negativity like it just it was horrible and it was like I, you know, if you like any of the other invasion movies this is a complete waste of your time don't blah 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 and so I went in let's just say <laughs> not exactly thinking you know it was going to be great um I was pleasantly surprised like i don't know what the hell these people were talking about i mean i don't know how you feel josh we'll get to it but for me and maybe it was the, the lowered expectations situation by the way every time i say that do you do you guys remember saturday night live or it was saturday night live or mad mad tv one of them that had this thing called lowered expectations you know what i'm talking about <laughs> yeah. and, and it was like a dating service where they would then share the video of like this horrible person that okay anyway sorry every time i say it um but yeah, so I went in with these lowered expectations, uh, and then, and by the way, as soon as Veronica Cartwright showed up, I'm like, yes. So <laughs> she, she, I don't feel like it's a spoiler to say, Liz, Veronica Cartwright is in this. Now, 
different character. But I've she, already read it. Okay, you I'm are, deep. I'm deep into this movie just textually. Okay. Well, well, here's the thing. <laughs> this came out in 2007, so we're talking. You know, Iraq War's been going on for a few years at this point. It's definitely, let's just say, for a a large percentage of people, a point of contention. <laughs> and you also are on. Now, it didn't know this, but we're on the basic eve of the uh, economic collapse that would come a year or so later. But there's also elements in this movie that deal with, you know, like psychiatry and, and you, know, the, you know, giving patients certain medications. And, and there's a lot of things in this that are really addictive at the time. But here's the thing. Watching this sucker during a pandemic, it takes on a whole <laughs> other level because this movie, this version, it's like a virus. It is not like your traditional pod thing that then goes into somebody. You know, it is more viral. And yeah. because and dismissed the flu, <laughs> yeah, it dismissed. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing, man. Did you, did you, did you watch it recently, Josh? Uh, no, okay. No, I, haven't. I don't know if you remember those moments, but like the points with the CDC and the, and the sort of naysaying about it being a, the, the some of the things where I was like, holy crap, this is prescient. This is like really creepy. So uh, I don't know. That may be why. Maybe you've got to take in all the considerations of of who you are and where you are when you go to see a movie, but. Yeah, I was really pleasantly surprised by this thing. I will say, had I saw it in 2007, um, and I don't want to go down the road of getting like political or anything like that. It's nothing because I've said this before a million times. Whether I agree or disagree with the movie, I just don't like being preached to. And I, it's weird, but I think had I seen this in 2007, some of the references to things are like kind of so on the nose that as I was like, you know, it would have been groan inducing, but I think we're so far removed from a lot of that now, at least I felt like, you know, for me, it felt that way that it wasn't, it didn't feel as heavy handed. It felt more just like, Hey, this is 2007. This is what was going on. And this is the situation. So, um, yeah, I, I get, I'm really, <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised by the invasion. So how do you feel about it, Josh? I was pretty underwhelmed by it. I, I I haven't seen it in many years. I wanted to like it. I didn't hate it nearly as much as, like you said, the the word of mouth in this movie was catastrophic. Like it was some of the worst word of mouth I've ever heard for a movie uh, until maybe Black Christmas of this last year. Like it's, it yeah. was vile. It was on the, that level. Like I remember it being on that level. Like people just hated it. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and it was it wasn't that bad. I thought I thought it fell a little flat for me, and I did wonder at the time if that had to do. I I had heard the rumors that the film had been taken away from the filmmaker. I didn't remember any details as we've established, but um, but yeah, I, I thought it was pretty good. It fell a little flat. I wonder yeah. what the original film was like, you know. And that was kind of my only real takeaway. I I did mention I like the sweating element of it. I thought that was a fun way to determine yeah. in this film subtle if if you're if your heart rate's up enough that you're sweating, they can tell that you're a human, basically. And I thought that was a fun and that's one of the things I love about these movies is the test scenes. We talked about the one in both versions of the thing. I love those moments where people are trying to figure out if someone is a pod person or not. And um I thought that was well done. Yeah. And I, and I, I just liked, I like Nick kid, uh, Nicole Kidman in this. I will say it was cause this movie's, you know, 13 years old now and seeing Daniel Craig, this came out the year after Casino Royale. Maybe it's just been a long time since I've seen that movie, but man, does he look like crazy young. 
<laughs> like he looks, he looks almost completely different to me. I mean, just having just watched Knives Out and everything, he just he looks, right. you know, I guess he looks thirteen years younger. But yeah, <laughs> but, but ultimately, I guess knowing especially this movie had all the problems it did, it feels surprisingly well put together. It doesn't. I mean, is it? A, a life-changing, you know, horror thriller type movie that you know you're going to be no, but for what it is, it's a fun, you know, kind of paranoid thriller. I I like the way that they get the disease. I will say probably the weakest point of this movie for sure, and I don't know, I mean, it could just be indicative of the fact that it's 2007, uh, but I mean, I'm sure there were some other movies at that time that had at least halfway decent CGI, but there's a couple of moments of CGI where you're like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, you tried. I do want to agree with you that the spreading of the disease is super cool because yeah. that's always been something that hasn't made a great deal of sense. And they set it up with a, basically a space shuttle crashes and has this bacteria on board. And I thought that was a really smart way to have this threat kind of spread across the entire country. Yeah. And yeah, but I, I didn't miss the kind of pod element, especially compared to to something like uh, the 93 film. Yeah, and, and also, if I'm not mistaken, I think Columbia had actually crashed with 2003, so it's like four years later, and they, it lo- did they use footage from that? Because it looked like, so that beginning, the opening, there is this news footage that looks authentic. It does not feel like, you know, Hollywood manufactured news footage typically feels. So it, it almost felt like they had used clips maybe from when that happened. Um, because I remember, you remember when uh, it, it crashed and, you know, pieces of it had landed in, in various uh, localities. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that them tie again, back to that, them tying the ideas of, Jack Finney's book into what's happening in real time or not real time, but in, in, in that time period. So you'd had the situation where, you know, you are, you already had the space shuttle accident. You've had this war going on. You've got all these elements. And in this movie, I will say, I don't want to, how can I say this without giving away the ending? <laughs> That's probably one of the weaker points. To me, because no. I feel like in this world, I want something a little bit more bleaker, if I'm just being honest. That's why I love the 78 version so much, because it's so freaking like, oh, my God, it's hopeless. <laughs> but this movie doesn't really go there. But however, and again, I, this is one of those things where probably it's PG-13 as well. It is PG-13. Yes. But I will say there are some moments of some some car hits and other things that are pretty brutal. I mean, they were like, I was like, yeah. dang, OK, <laughs> that was unexpected. Um, and then. The, but the very end, there's uh, um, a comment made about this idea of war and, and how people are treating each other across around the world. And the way a character reacts to it, it's back to what we had in, in a previous conversation, I believe, with David and, and Liz. I'm sure you could provide a lot of great insight to this as well. But it's this idea that are we necessarily <laughs> better off? With our human emotions that because in the, in the other thing about this movie I, and Josh, take this out if you think it is probably saying the fact. Well, no, because Liz hasn't seen it yet. I'm not saying it. Never mind. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. I'm not spoiling it for Liz. I'm not doing it. But I can hear my. I, no, no, it's OK. It's OK. I, it's, it doesn't need to be said. It doesn't need to be said. Um, but I guess what I'm just getting at is that question of. Is it is it our emotions back to what you guys were talking about earlier? Is it the emotions that make us human or is it is it our memories that make us who we are? But I think, you know, it is our emotions that do lead to things like, you know, war and lead to us, you know, killing and raping and doing all these horrific things. Yeah. It's emotion. Oh, 
I did want to touch on this because Liz was referring to this earlier, like, um, and I, and I wanted to kind of talk about how it was used in this film. Cause I think they do an interesting job of saying when people become less human, the world improves. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's a heavy theme. Right? That's a heavy yeah, theme yeah. in this and, one. Yeah. And that is interesting how they, uh, approach that in this movie yeah yeah it, it, it really is because there are moments in it where <laughs> it is i mean it's very obvious where it's like things are getting better <laughs> well and look it, you know back to the where we are right now as we record this i mean i believe there's been evidence that since people have been stuck in their houses and, and are out you know in the world the world itself in certain areas is actually doing a little better <laughs> so there is something yeah. to be said for that Again, not to be eco-fascists about it, but they're just the idea that the world, because I, from an environmental perspective, you know, they, they talk about how we're so close to the end if we don't change everything. And it's always been presented in this way that like, yeah, but can we ever really do that? And that seems impossible. And is it really going to be able to turn things around? I don't think wiping out humanity is a good way to go about fixing the planet, but I think it's been interesting to just note, oh, if we do change X, Y, and Z in terms of our behaviors, it has real world immediate impacts and can reverse trends that are going a certain way. That's been fascinating to see that. Yeah. It's it's, it's like this byproduct of the situation that we find ourselves in where it's like, oh, wait, oh, hmm. So it turns out that, uh, you know, if uh, countries aren't churning out, you know, all the X, Y and Z, it, uh, the, the sky likes that, <laughs> you know, but look at the trade off. But, you know, I think there's a I think there's a good argument. There's a middle way and also just practical steps that could be taken based on what we've seen this go. It was interesting, though, looking I was looking at some of the reviews for this film because I was curious what Ebert said about it. <laughs> Ebert, Ebert said the fourth and the least of the movies made from Jack Finney's classic. Um, but the New York Times mentioned that the uh the film's politics are abhorrent (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's kind of goes along with the idea that we're talking about that basically without humans the earth would would thrive or things that might be less war if we were some of our emotions were tampered down i guess is a better way to say yeah i mean i i think like i felt like the politics of the movie i probably at the time it would have annoyed me more uh just because it would have been so kind of on the nose but yeah i i think that you know, I I don't necessarily I guess, yeah, in a way, that's probably what they're saying. <laughs> they probably actually are making that <laughs> argument. But I think it's it's an interesting hypothetical. It's an interesting like, well, yeah. you know, I mean, it's let's examine it. Yeah. yeah. We're not saying like drop a nuke on, you no. know, but we're not saying take away everybody's feelings away. But, uh, you know, we're not we're not not saying that. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question. How how do the pond people compare across these four Movies are they all pretty identical in the emotionless personality-less aspect, or in these uh, later ones are they more? Do they seem more evil? What are they like? When I, you compare, I would say in the ninety. You guys definitely correct me on this if you disagree. With, I think the ninety-three version and the seventy-eight version, to me, they were the overall most sinister, especially the ninety-three version. In yeah. the two thousand seven version. It's weird because there are moments where they they don't really have personalities per se, but it's it's more so like compared to the other ones. There's something else there, and it's and again, I don't want to give it away, Liz, because you haven't seen it yet. But there's kind of a reason for that, um, mm-hmm. as you discover as the movie, especially towards the end, you find out something. You know that that once some things are resolved, um, and so I think that could be why, perhaps. 
Whereas, you know, to me, the 93 version, I probably would argue is they're the most overall sinister the, the way they feel. But but the because the 78 version, there's still this sense of it's OK. You know, it's going to be OK. Where the 78 version, they yeah they say that uh, or the 93 version, they say that kind of thing. But you just get the feel they just want to kill you. Like, like there's no. Uh, yeah, yeah that, that's how I took it. What about you, Josh? Yeah, I would agree with everything you said with regard to these specific films. I think I, I can't help but going back to the thing and thinking I, I prefer it so much more when you just can't tell who yeah. is the person or not. Yeah, because really the thing is the ultimate uh, adaptive entity because it also takes on the person's personality, even if it's faking it. Right. I mean, it's it's really good at doing that, whereas it seems no. like the body snatcher uh, pod people, they, they can fake it to a point. But like back to the priest on the swing, they something's off you know they're just not quite there yeah the 93 i think is they're the most sinister yeah because they're not even trying to convince you to come over you're coming over whether you want to or not yep um and again that's probably feeds into the military aspect of it you know like you said you don't get a lot of choices in the military the 78 you know you, you have um definitely i guess with the whole point and Scream definitely makes them more sinister, and then and then in the fi- in in the fifties version, it's like there's just something a little bit off. But it could be your loved one; they, they might just be having a bad day. Um, so I definitely think the ninety three gets closer to, I guess, the horror aspect of it, maybe than the other ones do. But it's also not as strong in in the message, which we've already touched on. Sure, sure. Does that does that answer your question, Liz? Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting because I started to think about the question of, you know, are these life forms more highly evolved than us or less? And you could kind of see a case for both because on the one hand, um, you know, they're just flying through space on solar winds, according to the 78 um, going from planet to planet to survive, right? And no matter what, as a species, how advanced or not we are, our fundamental impetus is to survive. So that's a commonality. And Um, so in the one case, you know, you would argue, oh, these are clearly, um, underdeveloped life forms or not as advanced or not as evolved because of, um, the way that they, you know, move and that they transport. It's not like they're beings with a spaceship and, and technological advancement. But then on the other, I think through our entertainment culture and psychological culture and different things, there's also sort of this pervasive idea that we could have the potential to evolve past emotions and wind up sort of in this same type of pod person state. Yeah. So I think it's just got me wondering like, Oh, I wonder if the argument, you know, what kind of arguments you could raise to say they're actually a more evolved species than we are Mm. having evolved past emotion. That's what Um, I love about the faculty too, is there's this element where they're like, come join us. It's better. We've progressed beyond all this pain and fear. And we, you know, we're, we're free from all of that. But then at the end, you're kind of given the feeling, well, it sounds like you've used up other planets completely and are moving on to another one. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. that that's an interesting yeah. aspect of that. Yeah. So, you know, does that lack of emotion um, and the passion and the care, does that, yeah, that allows a species to just use up a planet to just where it really becomes that your only goal is to survive. And it isn't about love or care or, you know, taking care, you know, like what we were sort of, what you were sort of talking about before about like, you know, the planet getting a little bit, having a benefit to us being less active in it. And just the fact that we care about that more prone to caring 
and taking um, taking care. I'm going to say the word care 40,000 times, uh, <laughs> taking care of our planet and each other. Um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Empathy, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah, that's weird. That is interesting. Well, I think often, I think too often people, well, I, mean, I don't want to speak for all people, but I think some people think that vulnerability, empathy, kindness, care, those kinds of things are actually points of weakness that to have mm-hmm. those, you would never survive. But, you know, the further back you go in, in, in man's history, the, 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 I mean, based on what we know, those qualities weren't necessarily as pervasive as they have because so it's almost like as we know, so I guess then you could then get the whole argument. Are we evolving, <laughs> you know, or yeah. are we actually going a different direction? And we just assume we're evolving because, you know, that's what we know. But I guess my point is, is that we I think those those qualities are often perceived as weak, even though it takes great strength often to have them. Well, and also, I think that, I mean, that's interesting because it takes the evolution of our technology in order to create a world where weaker attributes can survive. Mm-hmm. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So like I was, you know, my father-in-law's having a cancer bone marrow transplant right now. And I just think, Oh, how many of us would just not be here if this was a hundred years ago? Sure. Like a lot of us oh, would just yeah. not be here. Oh yeah. And, I, and, and so there is an element where our own uh, evolution toward in technology has allowed for, the weaker of the species to survive in a way that wasn't possible before. And so maybe traits that would have been deadly to us before can now flourish in a world where, uh, you know, we can be safer, I guess, and have those kinds of thoughts and feelings and ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, I mean, speaking about, you know, being weak and overcoming things, um, you could argue that the pod people are um, psychologically or emotionally complete they don't have any further to progress they are just void of emotion and that's it versus us humans we are very incomplete we are constantly striving for something new some type of self-improvement or greater understanding and who would ever want to get to the point where we were just done and then all that was really left to us was just survival right Mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting I, cause I think about it the other, this is probably way off topic. I think about it the other way all the time where I think humans are the only animals that complicate our lives so much. Like a dog can just be happy and like, but we have to like get stressed out about all these other <laughs> environmental factors and complicate our lives to the point that we're unhappy. Um, but on the other hand, it's what you're saying is also true. You know, that once yeah. what, you know, what were to happen for us as, the types of beings we are and the way our brains work. If we were to kind of solve all those problems, are we just going to be bored? after that? <laughs> yeah. What do they do with eternity? You know, what do they do with their perfect world is they just continue to do paperwork and stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eat, sleep, drink, and just stay alive. And that's what, that's the rest of eternity. Mm. Not very fun. Not, not no. even a little bit. Nope. All right, then. I, I, I feel I feel a little smarter now. Thank you for that, Liz. <laughs> <laughs> no. You're all dumber for having listened to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, so do we want to then go into our ratings and recommendations, Josh, for The Invasion from 2007? Yeah, it's been so long for me. I don't, it probably wouldn't be fair to give it a rating. If I was going to do it off memory, I'd call it probably a seven and a low priority rental. 
Okay. Um, but it's been literally probably 15 years since I've seen the movie. So. Oh, no, that's fair. Uh, I actually am going to give it a 7.5. So I feel like you and I are, are based on our conversation. It sounds like your feelings about it were you know not too far different from mine. Uh, I mean, I probably might have liked it a little bit better, but then again, back to lowered expectations. So I uh, did enjoy well, also the context. I would actually love to rewatch it in this context of global pandemic. Yeah, it might fit in well with the films we talked about on our bonus episode. It, 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 I was actually rather shocked. I even looked at my wife at one point and said, wow, this is timely because <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of key moments in it. Yeah, I want I really want uh, Dave and Liz to see it because I would love to hear uh, what you both think uh, about the uh, the invasion for 2007. But for me, 7.5 out of 10, definitely think it's worth the rental. So uh, check it out if you get a chance. And uh, that is that. All right. So that wraps up this last feature review of the invasion 2007. That was our versus 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 episode <laughs> for the uh, body snatchers series. If you want to call it that. And the winner is 1956, right? I mean, it's uh, clear. It's a 78 version. You're absolutely right. And then uh, Ebert, <laughs> may he rest in peace, would argue the 93 version. <laughs> so yes uh, Liz thank you so so very much for being here and joining us for this conversation you always bring a lot to the table and we really appreciate it yeah. well I'm very very um, excited to have been on with you guys again I appreciate the invitation and yeah I love hanging out with you guys even I mean well the nice thing is that given the pandemic this is no different than how we normally hang out so true. Still, that's true yeah, yeah it's great <laughs> We've been, practicing, we've been practicing social distancing since the start. That's right. Yeah, man. Yeah. We did it before. It was cool. <laughs> I've heard really good things about what you're doing on the sci-fi podcast right now. Yes, we are banking up a whole smack ton of episodes so we can edit them and actually just get them cranked out and released on a regular schedule. Um, William Solo Jr. is our new captain, if you will. <laughs> and he's doing an awesome job just keeping things going and keeping us all in check. And it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, he's the ringmaster of the circus now, and he's doing a darn good job. And I'm really excited to, yeah, to have the episodes released and to keep going. Very cool. And then eventually we'll, well, look, we're already here. Should we just do the Invisible Man? No. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> oh, yeah. We'll do some Universal Monsters talk with the four of us again sometime. It's going to happen. It's got to happen yes. at some point. Where can people yeah. find you online, Liz? Um, well, I don't know. I'm lame online. I mean, you can find me on Twitter at Liz Reads Comics. Uh, and then beyond that's pretty much it. Okay. <laughs> but follow Liz because she's a good follow and, you know. Yep. Yeah, I make dumb jokes and retweet <laughs> things sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the sci-fi podcast is on Twitter as well, right? Yes. Um, and that is another thing we're kind of getting the kinks worked out on is who is a good social media manager because I'm struggling to even think of what our handle is. I think it's at the sci-fi podcast. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. These guys have not been on, on social media too much. I know William kind of only barely uses social media. Matroid kind of only barely ever used it. I don't know. I don't think Nick's even on. Is Sputnik even on social media? I don't know. Oh, yeah. He's actually the one that's probably going to be the, okay. the leader of that. He's pretty savvy. Okay. Yeah. So, but but the, what I'm saying is everyone needs to go follow them because they're trying to get yes. going. So help him out over there. Yes. Please do. <laughs> Also, a reminder to follow our new friend, David Weiner. He's at Tiki Ambassador on Twitter. 
You can follow his projects at 80s Horror Doc on Twitter, at 80s Sci Fi Doc on Twitter, at It Came From Blog, and you can find that blog at ItCameFromBlog.com. If you want to purchase a digital copy of In Search of Darkness, or get on the mailing list to find out when the DVD will be available again, check out 80shorrordoc.com. And if you want to get in on the ground floor of the new sci-fi documentary, check out 80ssci-fi-doc.com. You can kickstart that project right now. I also really briefly wanted to let people know that longtime listener and our friend of the show, Dark Mark Longfield, is hosting a Monster Squad watch party on Saturday, April 25th. That's going to take place at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Time. Hashtag Monster Squad Watch Along. And Mark is going to be doing that with at WitchBarbie on Twitter. So if anybody feels like watching the Monster Squad, check that out again. It's Saturday, April 25th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Hashtag Monster Squad Watch Along. It'll be a great Twitter party for you monster kids out there. We love reading and responding to your comments, so we hope you'll get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all of our past episodes. Be sure to follow Wolfman Josh on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. Wolfman also appears on the Gods and Monsters podcast, as do Dave Becker and yours truly you can follow gods and monsters at monsters cast on twitter and you can find dr shock at dvdinfatuation.com and on twitter at dvdinfatuation and of course you can also hear him on the fantastic land of the creeps podcast and be sure to also check out his excellent youtube channel a link will be available to that in the show notes for this episode and I can be found at RetroMovieGeek.com and on Twitter at RetroMovieGeek. Also ForgottenFlicks.com and Terror on the Tube, where we cover made-for-TV horror movies from the 70s, 80s, and uh, very rarely, but occasionally the 90s. And we are joined by Allison, the horror unicorn, and it's it's Peter and myself, and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It comes out once a month or so, but it's a great time. So uh, definitely check us out there. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Movie Cast. And if you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. You can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com forward slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 at patreon.com forward slash moviepodcastnetwork. And also do not forget to try Shutter free for 30 days. Just go to shutter.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. That's it for this episode. Thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.
You ready, David? I feel like you have an opinion or two on on uh, what makes a, a good body snatcher movie. I might have snatched a body or two. Oh, wait. <laughs> okay. Well, well, allegedly. As long as you had alleged, allegedly, you're fine. Just say allegedly and you're you're good. One movie I did want to mention, this is more along the line, I, I think, of, of the faculty, not so much Body Snatcher, but I did see recently um, on Land of the Creeps, we did a Nordic horror, and there was a 2007 film called The Substitute. Mm. And um, it's about this sixth grade class who are convinced that their new substitute teacher is this alien from outer space. And the best way I can describe it is it is the faculty meets the bad news bears. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's something. It's really a fun entertaining movie that does deliver a few uh scares as well and the actress playing the teacher uh is is brilliant i don't want to go too deep into it but it, it's one to check out it's the substitute from 2007 it's a, it's a, is it um, as politically incorrect as the 70s bad news bad news bears because if so i mean well i'll tell you what the teacher uh, definitely is i mean when the for her first day of class the first student she talks to has protruding teeth and says, well, come on up to the front. If your teeth don't scrape on the floor as you're working. And that's just to give you an idea of, of, of what brings all of these kids are like a normal sixth grade class where they're not friendly. Like they, they, like they pick on one kid, they pick on another. This teacher brings them all together and mm. everyone has a distinct personality. And there, there are just some amazing scenes in it. I, I definitely, if you get a chance, check out, it's the substitute from 2007. And actually it looks Great. like, is it the one that was directed? I'm going to mispronounce his name i apologize in advance it's it old bornadol the guy did night watch yes, yes yeah oh wow yep that's cool okay. oh i'm checking this well, out i'm adding go. it to my queue right now that's awesome yep oh buck rogers and battlestar galactica oh, yes. and a lot of the star trek episodes and heaven can wait and greece i think as well oh, is- <laughs> I, I might happen to know every photo novel that was made that's awesome but i digress <laughs> Which is why I've decided for all future movies that I'm at, that I'm really looking forward to, I hate in advance, and therefore that's right. <laughs> therefore, I hate them and don't watch the trailers. That's yes, what I do. I, I, I think I have this problem, and I don't know if it's like an OCD type thing where I feel this compulsion. Like I've got to watch it, knowing full well I'm going to be really pissed off quite frankly that they're going to ruin like i go back to the halloween 2018 because i really love that movie but there are some key moments in that trailer that gave away things that if you would experience them for the first time in the theater would have been way more fun and but i couldn't resist like the idea of not watching the trailer for that i i could you know it's i'm i'm, I'm conflicted about halloween kills because when the trailer drops i'm gonna want to watch it like it's gonna be like itching my you arm know you know kind of situation like i'm gonna be uh you you want to see the movie? You know you're going to see the movie. Of so resist the urge. <laughs> I know, put those, man. Put those filters on your social media I'm because you know to. you're going to see it. And I, I got to tell you, also, you know, there, in, when you're watching a movie and you just know that you're you might you're still enjoying it, but you you feel like, well, they haven't they haven't shown this yet, and I remember that from yes. the trailer. Yes. And so you you. And and nine times out of ten, they usually show something from the last five minutes, and and I. I got so tired of that. You know, I'll date myself, I suppose. The, the first time I got really, 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 really angry at a trailer was the one for Alien 3. Oh, yeah. Uh, when, mm. you know, when they showed the alien coming right up to Ripley's face. Yes. And, and right. That's a whole I, marketing I, campaign for that film. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, really? Really? That's probably <laughs> the best moment of the movie. And you're, oh, man, you know. And then, like, to this point where, you know, say Terminator Genesis, where they reveal the big twist in the trailer. Oh, yeah. I just. Uh, right. Right. Yep. I mean, it's an endless list. So, uh, so in 
back in the day when I worked for Entertainment Tonight and I wrote film for Entertainment Tonight, I had to I had to dissect every single teaser trailer, you know, pre-teaser trailer, trailer, post-trailer, every every moment, and uh, it unfortunately ruined the movie-going experience for me. Oh. When I left Entertainment Tonight. Uh, and I moved on from Famous Monsters, I was able to not have to do this stuff. And uh, I found yeah. it incredibly rewarding <laughs> knowing that I wanted to see a film and not knowing anything about it. And uh, it, it's it's uh, it's an onion experience that way. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good and point. And I'm not talking about the the onion, the, the parody paper. Yeah. <laughs> Is it uh, the Fangoria 24? Is that the extra where on the cover it said, not all extraterrestrials are friendly? Yes, that would be it. Because just as a little side note, I think it's kind of fascinating that in that same issue, they talked about Forrest Ackerman quitting Famous Monsters, <laughs> which is yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Well, it was a monster. It was a big monster community for there. sure, for sure. Um, you know, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people don't know or realize that uh, Fangoria was a spinoff of Starlog Magazine. Uh, and it was definitely a, a combination of sci-fi that sort of, it, it took the mantle from famous monsters, which was really more about classic monsters and not as much about gore, even though they would do contemporary films. Uh, but famous monsters petered out in 1982 and around the same time, cause I think Fangoria began in 1979, uh, Fangoria sort of took that mantle and got gorier and gorier as eighties movies and practical effects got gorier and gorier and, uh, it capitalized on that. But the, it, it was still a, a small horror community where everyone was sort of, uh, uh, aware of, of, you know, that magazine on the shelf that spoke to you. And so when Famous Monsters sort of ended, uh, Fangoria knew that their audience knew all about Famous Monsters. But lastly, I'll say about Famous Monsters, or I could say plenty of things, is that, you know, Famous Monsters started in 1958. And so that that really capitalized on the, uh, the monster trend on TV, uh, where all these classic movies that were being introduced to a new generation by way of horror hosts, all of a sudden there was a huge demand and a huge market for toys and models and all sorts of stuff like that. And uh, uh, a, hu a huge influence on a lot of the filmmakers that made these films that we loved uh, or the, all these horror films, they all read famous monsters mm -hmm. uh, because it was, it was their internet back in the day to find out not only about these movies, but how these movies were made. Uh, and it was, you know, it was tongue in cheek, but it was extremely informative. And so everyone from Stephen King to uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and Peter Jackson, Cronenberg, they all read Famous Monsters. James Cameron, um, you know, Guillermo del Toro learned English from, from Famous Monsters and Mad Magazine. And so I obviously am digressing yet again, but uh, it was wow. tremendous influence. I want to continue your digression, which I realize is going to annoy the crap out of Josh since he has to edit this, but I not at all. <laughs> These are the kinds of digressions we like. Okay. They sometimes right. appear in the outtake section. I'll just say that, but <laughs> we, we love him and the audience. Well, loves well him. He, he, he's cool though. I think you're cool with him, Josh, that our guests do the, but the fact that I'm about to continue it on, I apologize in advance. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I, I will say, though, because he's singing my song when he's talking about horror hosts. You know that. So I uh, I have an obsession with horror hosts in general. I have for many, many years. My horror, because you bring up famous monsters, my horror host growing up, besides Commander USA, because I think a lot of people, you know, if you had USA Network, you had Commander USA. But uh, Dr. Paul Bearer out of WTOG 44 uh -huh. in Tampa, <laughs> Dick Benick, uh -huh. who actually, I believe, appeared 
in a couple of issues, and I think I have them somewhere, of uh, famous monsters. And he apparently, the, the legend was, he actually lived in the town that's very close to where I live now. And he had, I think, basically every issue. To, to my knowledge, he was a massive Famous Monsters fan as well. To to reinforce your point about horror hosts getting their info from that magazine. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, another tangent that, that doesn't, you know, connects or doesn't is that uh, Lori Cardilli. Uh, oh, yeah. Lori Cardill. Yes. Uh, Chili Billy Cardilli. in Day, Day of the Dead. Yeah. Chili Billy Cardilli. Yes. Uh, was her father. And he's actually in Night of the Living Dead. He has a, a cameo in that. But uh, he was a uh, Pittsburgh area horror host. And he was a huge influence on on George Romero and Tom Savini. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it's uh, a lot. What I think what's important, what, what uh, at least I'm saying, is that um, – all these things are, 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 are interconnected. So when you're talking about all these movies, uh, you know, that, that were featured in Fangoria and famous monsters before that, it all comes back to this sort of, uh, renaissance of horror that happened in the late fifties and, and boomed in the sixties. That's why we got, you know, uh, the monsters, <laughs> you know, yeah. mm, um, right. It's uh, it, it, it's it's sort of a, a peak craze of fandom for uh, all the all this kind of stuff, and it was very influential. And so the stuff that we love and we talk about now in terms of horror, it all has its roots and its foundations in these uh, uh, these horror hosts that kind of brought it to a whole new generation. I think what we're saying, kids, is horror hosts rule. Just just know that. <laughs> Period. Full stop. Spanguli is a, uh, oh, a current yeah. shining example. Yes. Yes. Spanguli yes. is great. Star. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm also a big fan of Count Gore, Count Gore Duvall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of great ones. I mean, Mayan in Philadelphia was who I've taken the name of Doctor Shock. Um, Joe Zawaslak, I think, is his name. Uh, was mm-hmm. the horror host here in Philadelphia for pretty much the entire decade of the '70s. It's cool. It's good stuff. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, in, I grew up in New York, in uh, uh, just outside of New York City, and. I grew up just in the wake of horror hosts where I didn't have a horror host that I could connect to, but uh, we had we had horror movies on monster movies on all the time. And uh, my, my biggest connection to all this as a child growing up, other than uh, the four thirty movie, which was on every afternoon on weekdays where they would have monster week or Edgar Allan Poe week or Pie of the apes week, Godzilla week, all that stuff really resonated. And was, that was sort of my film school foundation as a kid growing up, but there was a show called chiller theater that was on either late Friday night or late Saturday night. I can't remember, but uh, I implore you guys to go look for the chiller theater opening where you have this swamp and the six figure hand coming out of the swamp and spelling out chiller in, uh, in claymation, <laughs> stop motion animation. Wow. And it's, uh, it will creep you out to this day. And it's, uh, it was, it set me on a, a, a dark path of happiness. <laughs> I feel almost robbed that I wasn't aware of my, any local horror hosts when I was growing That's up. You know, you know, it's funny. I'm trying to think in Utah, cause I'm, I'm, I'm pretty decent about knowing regionally, like who the, most of the big ones were in certain areas, um, or at least if somebody sort of, you know, references one, I'm, I'm familiar with their, you know, who they were. And think, try to remember if there were any in the Salt Lake area. I would have been in San Diego. Oh, that's when, right. You were, yeah, you were in San Diego. Oh, San Diego uh, should have had somebody. Well, of course, yeah. back in the. I mean, I, I, I watched Elvira. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> I watched Joe Bob. So, I mean, I got, I still had some fun with those 
type of folks but those guys you know uh, vira and joe bob uh, carry the torch absolutely and and I, and what it comes down to is uh when i listened to your when you guys were talking about uh um in search of darkness and uh you you picked out something about uh that i put on my on my website that i'm on this i, I consider myself a nostalgia curator Yes. And uh, I sort of I sort of anointed myself with that title just because that's kind of what I traffic in is is, is happy nostalgia from a certain sort of uh, section of time that, that really meant a lot to me. And uh, Elvira and, and, and uh, Joe Bob Briggs and Last Drive-In are curators for a whole new generation that are are aware that all this stuff is out there, but they don't even know where to begin. And uh, that's what makes your your podcast so wonderful, and and people who are just reaching into the archives to talk about themes and specific movies. I think it's very important because people want someone who's knowledgeable to share their love and passion and reasons why. And uh, it, I think uh, there's a whole generation that, that's hungry for this stuff, but waiting for some guidance. And that's why uh, this stuff is important. <laughs> Hmm, maybe. Munchies? Did you talk about munchies? No, not me. Okay. <laughs> I think it was before that. I I, I think uh, it might have been it might have been the most recent episode of um uh the Gods and Monsters, Universal Monsters, and at the time still the Universal Monsters. I was test. gonna say, so the most recent yeah. episode would have been that the meetup. <laughs> yeah, I guess <laughs> no. then. I was partially correct. Station was on here last time for a tiny terror. Her and Matroid talked about Leprechaun 4 in space. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. I think we did a, like our own solo recording. I, I think we yes. didn't yeah, that's interact what it was. That's anybody. What it was. We just yeah, that's did a review. Yeah. yeah. So just over a year ago. Yeah. yeah. It's still too so, long. so at least the last yeah. one you yeah. were on was for a good one. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> a plus <laughs> cinema. <laughs> I'm really apologizing to myself because I am in the future hating myself right now while I'm editing this. Okay. Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is a 1956 Don Siegel film. It is based on the Jack Finney novel called Invasion. Oh, sorry. Wait, what is the Jack Finney novel called? (laughs) The Body Snatchers. I'm sorry. Uh, It is based on the Jack Finney novel Invasion of... I forgot already what it was called. (laughs) It went really well. Also based on the novel... Um, that we keep forgetting the name of the body snatchers, the body snatchers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not, not my father, the hero, not, not my father, the hero. You, you, <laughs> uh, my father, the hero was someone else. That was, uh, that wasn't her? no, that was, that was, um, the girl from Utah who's local to Utah. I can't think of her name right okay, now. Okay. Never mind. J- joke fell flat. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. Um, it was Catherine Heigl. <laughs> my father, the hero. I forgot. I didn't realize that was her. Yes. Yes. Oh wow. No, no, no line, Josh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought I thought you were going to do a thing where you like pointed at one of us and went. <sighs> I, I, much like our Godzilla episode, I'm actually in post going to put the. Uh, okay. The, uh, I got you. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. You, you threw me for a loop there. Okay. 